Hey, podcast listeners. This is a discussion between myself, TK Coleman, Steve Patterson, and Derek McGill, all of whom have been previous guests, TK, several times on this podcast. This is a discussion about Bitcoin. And we started flipping on the camera because we were always talking about this stuff privately, flipping on the camera and every couple of weeks doing these discussions just on Zoom and posting them up to YouTube for fun. And uh, they actually got a lot of traction, got a lot of views, a lot of interest. Several people asked me to put it in podcast format. Rather than spin up a new podcast, I decided to just post them right here on the feed for the uh, recently dormant Isaac Morehouse podcast. So what follows is a completely unedited, unfiltered discussion. You can also find it on YouTube if you want to see our wonderful faces between me, Steve Patterson, Derek McGill, TK Coleman on Bitcoin and Bitcoin related stuff. If you're not at all interested or familiar with crypto, there's some stuff that might be a little technical or a little inside baseball that might go over your head. But if I do say so, it's a pretty fun discussion anyway, and you might learn some things. Thanks. We're on. All right. We're back again, round two. We did a video, what was it, a couple of weeks ago about Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, and we had so much fun that we decided we needed to do a follow-up. So I'm Isaac Morehouse. I got three great guys here with me, sharp guys, interesting, reasonable, rational guys. Do uh, you guys want to introduce yourselves again as we did in the previous video, because not everyone will have watched that, and or like give just an opening little statement, what, what, you're, what you're ready to go at it about today? All right. I'm, I'm ready to go at it about Steve justifying that he's got skin in the game. But we'll <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, I'm, so I'm Derek. Some of you guys may have seen my writing online about Bitcoin Cash uh, during the uh, pre-fork days about Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core. Um, and I've been in Bitcoin since uh, 2013, 2014. Um, more active since uh, uh, 2017 or so, though. I'm Steve Patterson. Um, author of What's the Big Deal About Bitcoin. I actually got a, a shipment of them in the mail. I'm sending one out to uh, the patron. Uh, wrote that in 2014, been in Bitcoin for a while. Um, I'm a big block Bitcoiner, um, getting a little bit more involved in this space that, than I have been uh, for a while. I've been focusing on kind of reaching the general public, and now I'm changing my focus a little bit more to more internal Bitcoin stuff. Um, yeah. Uh-oh, um, getting into the cesspool, huh, Steve? Yeah, putting my toes in, yes. <laughs> TK, what's I'm your story, T my man? I'm TK Coleman, son of a preacher man from Chicago, Illinois. I am an entrepreneur and an educator. I've been uh, a fan of money, wealth creation, and value creation all my life, and uh, a student of economics for about, you know, informally so for about the past six, seven years, and um, a big fan of Bitcoin, particularly BSV, uh, for the past, what, roughly two years. I thought for a second you were going to go kind of the Craig Wright direction and be like, I'm a pastor. I invented money. I have enjoyed <laughs> prosperity since before anybody else knew, you know, just start going down, going to town. I've got um, five papers coming out proving that I am a pastor. <laughs> okay. So we did this video. And for those of you watching, if you haven't seen it, um, go check it out. I mean, it's long. It's a two hour discussion on which has a brighter future, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV. 
Um, and it was just a discussion among friends, essentially, that we have these discussions all the time offline. And we're like, hey, let's let's flip on the camera and let's put this video together. I think it might be kind of fun. There's some crazy stuff going on in crypto. And really, I sort of saw it as for my own education, because I value all of your opinions and you have different opinions about what version of big, big block Bitcoin is most likely to succeed. So we had this discussion, we had this video, and we had like some really nice and interesting comments and Twitter and Telegram groups and all these things and a lot of crazy, weird stuff. Um, but after that video, a lot has happened. A lot of things we didn't cover that we want to chat about. A lot of things have happened in the two weeks since then. And there were some interesting things that people were throwing around in response to our video that I think all of us started chatting more and we're like, all right, let's do a, another video. So what what is like what was the most interesting thing about after putting that video out, the responses from both BSV supporters and BCH supporters that you guys experienced or observed or the most surprising? Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny that it, uh, I was representing the Bitcoin cash position and by far most of the criticism I received came from Bitcoin cash people who have this theory that I'm a clandestine BSV supporter. I play in the long con and like I'm pretending like I support Bitcoin cash and really I'm a BSV supporter because as everybody knows, if you don't uh, explicitly disavow BSV as being 100% a scam and everybody involved is a liar and a fraudster, then that means you're, you secretly support it. So to take the rational position of, hey, I think they both, ha- I bo- they both have merit. I'm leaning more BCH than BSV, but I see problems with both. That is now like the tribe considers that the ultimate heresy. And, and uh, it was just, it's just funny to see that, that type of criticism because I experienced that before with the BTC BCH split. It was the same story. Been a long time Bitcoiner. And then if you have criticism, reasonable criticisms of, of BTC and Bitcoin Core, suddenly now you were, you were a leper that needed to be ostracized from the community. And See, I think- let, let me give a, a maybe a soft, this is going to be hard to do because I don't agree with that approach, but it's a soft defense or at least explanation for that attitude because it is actually pretty likely that there are and have been, I guess what you would consider like moles, like people who get into a particular crypto community and purposefully pretend to be a supporter of it in a way that's actually trying to undermine. Like, I actually don't think that's far-fetched. And I think there's probably quite a few instances where we've seen it, whether they're sock puppets or real people. So like in defense of people who are skeptical of you, I could see someone being like, well, he sounds like he's a supporter but really he's trying to undermine it, whatever. That's not utterly unreasonable for someone to suspect that that occurs. Uh, that, that occurs in the abstract. That is true. It certainly has been, and it's been a problem in Bitcoin, I think, since the beginning. And there's probably been moles of one form or another, pretty much at the highest levels, as far as I can tell, um, also since the beginning. But how might one tell whether one is a mole or not? Well, listen to the actual ideas. Go back and read my work since 2014. I've been saying the exact same damn thing since 2014. Nothing has changed. My, I, I had reasonable criticisms of BTC. I have reasonable criticisms of BCH. I have reasonable criticisms of BSV. You know, if you actually want to sort these things out, you got to evaluate the ideas for themselves. And just like I saw what happened is in the real world, most people aren't interested in evaluating ideas with the BTC-BCH split. 
happened again with the BC, uh, BCH and BSV split. It's just most people just aren't interested in listening and thinking through ideas individually. They just want to play the, the tribalist game. It just seems to be human psychology. I think moles exist definitely, but how do you, how, how do you root them out is the question. And yeah. the standard of evidence is Steve says something that would have been a non-controversial opinion in Bitcoin cash <laughs> a year ago. And that is now evidence that he is some sort of subversive, uh, who, and, and we're all in on the game too. Mm. Uh, I did see a prominent, uh, uh, guy in Bitcoin cash even call this controlled opposition. Um, <laughs> hey man i wish i was getting some kind of payoff from somebody for having this little yeah. discussion among friends you know yeah and then there were comments that we faked the video views um <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see those yeah that we that we that we faked the views or that nobody was actually watching it that this was all just this stuff. and and the, one of the points that i saw consistently made was well of course they aren't being hostile towards each other they all secretly agree and that was, I think, for me, a very eye-opening moment. The idea that if you're, if you're being nice to each other or you're getting along, there is some ulterior motive behind the scenes that we're not, we're not sharing. Yeah. Is it, isn't that a weird phenomenon? It reveals just how different crypto is. And this, is, this has positives as well. I'm not only saying this in a negative, but from other areas. And I think I might've made this analogy in the previous video, but like, can you imagine if we were like both venture capital investor or all venture <laughs> capital investors or like stock investors and I was like, look, I'm a huge fan of Uber's roadmap. I think they're going to win the ride sharing. And you're like, I'm a Lyft fan. Can you imagine a world where it's like, well, it's not possible for you guys to, to like each other or to talk reasonably about the pros and cons of each, right? It's so crazy. And this yeah. is where it gets cult-like and people throw around the word cult. But I think one of the, one of the definitions is like this idea that you have to pledge your loyalty by showing your suffering. And I remember Daniel Krawitz made a video kind of making fun of, I think, Jameson Lopp or some of the BTC people after the initial fork who were like, I'm willing to go down with the ship and lose everything in, in to just show how loyal I am. I'll fall on my sword. You know, this yeah. sort of like kamikaze idea uh, that the honor and loyalty to the point of self-destruction. And I've seen after, after our video, or maybe I just noticed it more, it wasn't all about our video, but just these discussions with like, well, how much, we'll get to this later, but how much skin in the game does that guy actually have? Or how much, well, this, I heard that this person still holds some BSV and it's like, you have to go out there and be like, like, I want everyone to know that I'm so loyal that if BCH fails, I will literally die in the street, you know? And that's the only way we can trust you. It's like what pledges do in these like freaking weird secret societies and stuff like, Hey, get, you know, make sure you're set up in such a way that you will die if you ever abandon the true faith. That's so absurd and unhealthy and like such a non, uh, you know, a good environment for discourse. So anyway, I thought that was pretty wild to see that. And that comes from both camps, by the way. You have people who are like, you know, I would do some tweets like, hey, we discussed the pros and cons of BCH and BSV. And literally there'd be like BCH, BSV people being like, name one con, yeah. name one flaw, name one thing that's wrong. And you'd be like, well, you know, it's unclear whether X, Y, and Z. Nope. 
Un- that's actually not a bug. That's a feature because Craig Wright will reveal in one year exactly why. You know, it's like you can't <laughs> even say that something might be imperfect. Or on yeah. the BCH side, it's like, well, how dare you criticize BCH? How much do you hold? Did you say that BSV might have a chance? You're not one of the true believers. It's like it's so wild and ridiculous. Yeah, there's know? a sp- there's a specific tactic that BTC is still employing. What is it? Two years after the the that fork which is that you're really not allowed to give any shred of credibility to Bitcoin Cash. Even calling it Bitcoin Cash is a concession. Yeah. You're supposed to call it Bcash. If you're a good Bitcoiner, you always call it Bcash. It's the exact same tactic with BCH and BSV. It, you have committed a cardinal sin by implying that somebody in a different community um, isn't just totally a fraud. That, in, in fact, you, it's like name calling. It's like if you read the comments of normal people um, when they're talking about politics, like regular Joes, a lot of times they don't call Trump, Trump. They don't type his name properly. They call him Drumpf or they call him T Rump with a capital R or they, they call instead of Clinton, Hillary Clinton, it's, it's Hillary Clinton, right? It's like they, they can't even speak the name because that gives their opposition too much respect. <laughs> TK, what did you notice uh, after that video? Oh, man, it, it, it's funny because, well, well really quickly, I, I think one of the reasons why maybe the level of friendliness in our discourses is, is so shocking to people is because we all know each other, right? And we have conversations offline, not only about crypto, but about a host of other things that just have to do with life or common interest. And so there's an already existing trust of one another's intentions, you know, Steve and I must have recorded about 12 hours of debate on race where we came into it with different convictions about things. And not once did either of us ever even look as if we were flustered or frustrated with the other. We were calm the whole time. And he articulated his position then as he did in our last discussion, where if he disagrees or has concerns about your position, he'll ask questions, be very methodical. And, and take a, a kind of Socratic approach. And I was just very surprised to see so many people get mad at actually all three of you guys for both supporting BCH and not being all in 100% on BCH and being open to the possibility that BSV has some strengths that BCH likes. I, I thought that was both shocking and hilarious. And, and I certainly think that the BCH community didn't really make itself look too, look too great um, by, by attacking you guys for that reason. I, I know from my conversations with you that, you know, if, if, if anything, you really want BCH to win and, and you talk like you wanted to win, but, but you're also refusing to be closed-minded about BSV. I think it's, I think it's very respectable. I think it's commendable. And I think for, for me, if you want to win, then you should be happy when people have some sort of affinity to your view and you should try to have a conversation with them where you can win them over. I don't know why you would want to make people feel guilty about having questions about your view. That's weird to me. Oh, one final observation after, after releasing that video and just different comments and stuff, you can see very quickly how there's a really big incentive to just go all in and be as extreme as possible on sort of a team. Because one thing I noticed is who caught a lot of shit for that video? Steve, because he wasn't unequivocally supportive of BCH, probably got the most. Derek to a lesser extent and myself to a lesser extent because we, you know, Derek leans toward BSV, but he wasn't Mm -hmm. 100% and I sort of played a neutral. He can't get any shit at all from anybody. 
because he was like, I'm 100% BSV. And there's this huge, and, and so the BCH people ignore him and the BSV people love him and embrace him. And so there's this huge incentive because you'll get crap from both sides if you're like, oh, well, let me just analyze. I'm not sure. I'm just curious about which tech will work the best. There's a huge disincentive to kind of be reasonable. And I don't mean that to offend you, TK, like you're unreasonable. But there's a huge incentive to just be like, well, even if I don't actually believe this, it'd be better for my life to just embrace mm-hmm. one and then I'll at least be loved by somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to return to, this is related to the point of moles, where we're... When we're talking about open source communities, there is no way to clear out the field of bad actors. Like Bitcoin, especially, we're talking about an area which is a crossover between international finance, politics and governments, like libertarianism with their own, libertarians with their own personal psychology. There is no way you're not going to have this field infiltrated. It has been from the beginning. So if the strategy is the only way we can make progress on this coin is by completely eliminating all bad actors and anybody that smells like maybe they're a bad actor, that's going to fail. It it must necessarily fail given the dynamics of- Community purges will bring strength. (laughs) Exactly. Like maybe if you're in a tiny little tribe, you can get away with witch hunts and it works. But when you're talking about a project of this magnitude, there is no way. And if I, in fact, if I were, you know, if I were a government official trying to throw a wrench into the works of the libertarian project who's trying to create this new sound digital money, what I would do is try to insist that everybody purge all the bad actors from the community. I would say, oh, you know what I heard? I heard Johnny said this positive thing about this other coin. I think he might be a state actor. Why don't you go after him? Just sow division indefinitely. Pepper a few bad actors in there and shit will never get done. It's a bad strategy. I like the inquisition that took place afterwards too about Steve, which was um, how long has Steve been in Bitcoin? What are his Bitcoin credentials? And then no piece of evidence is satisfactory enough. I know. Well, it's funny, right? Because I, I, I coincidentally had just written this thing. I should have done a while ago for my website. It's steve-patterson.com slash Bitcoin, if you're interested, which is like a bunch of stuff I've assembled since 2014, a bunch of articles for news organizations, videos, a ton of interviews. And so so I I, I link people to this and they go, well, what has he done for Bitcoin cash? That was back in the, and it's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what I've done for Bitcoin cash. Why don't you listen to my 2017 interviews, the two best interviews on the history of the split between BTC and Bitcoin cash that are in existence, my interviews with Ryan Charles. Those are the best as well. It doesn't qualify because now Ryan Charles is the BSV guy. I it's saw like, that. Yeah, it's preposterous. Years later, Ryan Charles is BSV. It invalidates anything he must have right. said. About right. It's things. such a funny, it, it's kind of a depressing reflection, I guess, of the, of the size and strength of crypto communities that the four of us throw up a video on, on my channel, by the way, which is I've never uploaded. A, I think maybe I had some family videos from like five years ago. I have no subscribers, nothing else. None of us pretended to be doing anything but having a discussion. None of us are like, we're authorities. None of us are trying to push any particular, you know, agenda, whatever. We're having a discussion and it gets this crazy, like, like people were like, these people shouldn't be given a voice. Who appointed them as representatives? (laughs) Nobody appointed us. YouTube is the platform I used. I'm not, you know, um, and then just the, the like credentials prove, prove that you care about Bitcoin and you, what does it matter? If you don't want to listen to us talk about it, don't listen to it. If you like the ideas, great. If not, 
who cares? Like, yeah, there, there's I also to, this to show you how much Bitcoin I own or what I've done and written. And, how, you know, it's just the stupidest thing ever. It is. And you there's sound this, like Craig Wright, Isaac. Yeah. The, I don't owe you anything. I'll <laughs> never show you. And I'm never coming on video again. <laughs> well, there's also this preposterous idea that one can only have contributed to cryptocurrency based on one's social media profile. It's like you have to have a running list of your Reddit posts and your tweets and all of your public facing content. Otherwise, the community will deem that you have not contributed, contributed enough to have a voice. It's like that's as if that's the only way you can actually we, you know, work in this field. Tweets against a feather. Exactly. Is there no room for doing important work behind the scenes? Like I've got these, a lot of these connections at BitPay just because my wife worked there and we've had so many conversations with uh, the employees there. They crush it. Like the early days of BitPay, that was the organization which was, I think, had the most kind of intellectual firepower and, and engineering and business firepower of any other business in the space. They weren't, almost all of them weren't even on social media like didn't even have, you know, Twitter accounts and stuff. So if they, you know, if, if the actual people in the real world getting shit done in businesses don't have this public facing presence, um, I, I just, I think that's a clear demonstration. There are other ways to contribute to Bitcoin other than gaining social cred points online. Okay, two really small, funny observations. And then I want to move to abused ideas in crypto. And I have a list of those that I know all of you have. And I have a religious so, metaphor I want to use before that. So we'll, we'll get to your religious metaphor. So the two two funny observations. Uh, one was you'd see all these <laughs> Twitter comments. It'd be like, "Well, you're just a shill," and then you go look at the account, and it was like, you know, crypto madness created <laughs> months ago with two followers. And you're like, "Wait a minute!" And then the other one. This is just one of my favorite. There were like four comments in YouTube that just said like. Hey, that black guy is really smart. And I'm like, <laughs> all of our names are written right here on the screen. You know, like you, you can identify TK by name if you want to. And then in Telegram, it was, oh, that guy's really brilliant. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but he certainly is articulate. <laughs> okay, so I, wa I wanted to go next to abused ideas in crypto. And I had a couple like the idea of security, decentralization, the, the ideas of cash and gold as metaphors that get abused, and the idea of skin in the game. But TK, you're telling me you got to cut in first with a religious metaphor? Yeah, this is a follow-up. The BSV guy would go straight to the religious metaphor, right? Straight to religion, man. So, so, so Armani from BCH is big on that too. So I guess it's both camps. Well, this is in keeping with, with, with Steve's complaint about, you know, the, the, the kind of credentialist attitude, the proof of status or social media that you see in crypto. So in, in the Christian faith, you had the Pharisees. And these were the people that were the religious loyalists. They practiced the spiritual disciplines like fasting and almsgiving and praying. And what they did was very difficult because they lived these highly disciplined, devout religious lives. Then Jesus comes along and he starts speaking to the people on the margins of society, the tax collector, the adulteress, the leper. And he says to them, God's love is available to you as much as it's available to the person that has been practicing religion for the last 15 years. And their sensibilities were offended by that. You can't tell me that some thief who dies next to you on the cross can repent of his sins and then receive eternal life the next day when I've been working really hard on religion for the past 20 years. That's not fair. And you see a similar attitude in crypto where 
you have these people who take great pride in being OGs. And these are like the Pharisees. It's very hard to be an OG. It's very difficult to learn what they learned. They really made some valuable contributions. The Pharisees should not be dismissed, but they're so offended when someone new enters the crypto space and they fall in love with it for superficial reasons, or they've only been around for six months or for one year. Well, for me, I'd rather read the white paper one time and be around for one month and get it right than be someone who's stuck in dogma. And my only victory in life is taking pride in the fact that I've been around for 10 years, you know, but the OGs are the new Pharisees. And in order for crypto to grow up, people are going to have to accept the fact that in order for anything to become adopted by the mainstream, you're going to have to get over yourself when it comes to the irritation you're inclined to feel with superficial people that you despise trying to use your tool for reasons that are less noble than your ideals. Well, that's a really convenient argument for you, TK, since you refuse to accept the Bitcoin I tried to send you since like 2012, you know. <laughs> um, I, I want to I talk about a, ideas that are good ideas and important ideas, in many ways fundamental to Bitcoin, but that can actually be taken, I don't know if too far is the right word, but just abused. Steve, let's start with your favorite, Skin in the Game. Yeah. It's actually not my favorite. Why is the concept of skin in the game and how misused in crypto? Well, actually, that's not my favorite example because I want to start with the best example, which is uh, an illustration of absurdity and how these memes can, I call them uh, uh, getting bastardized. So in my book, actually, I have the phrase digital gold. I, I have an explanation of like the properties of what makes good money. And it's scarce, it's poor, and blah, 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 blah. And I say, oh, well, if you think about it, Bitcoin has a lot of these monetary properties, except it's digital. So it's like digital gold. Oh, wow, that's a good cool idea. Very valuable and exciting to think about, especially if you're interested in like monetary economics. Fast forward uh, three years and something happened to that idea that I could, I would never in a million years have predicted it could be so bastardized, which is that Bitcoin is like digital gold, which means it's okay if it's really expensive to transact because gold is expensive to transact. That is the opposite of the in, in, intended uh, analogy here, right? It's precisely that it's digital gold. It means it's supposed to be really low transaction fees. That's the point of the digital part. And instead, they completely invert it and have wound up that digital gold means it's like you can't move it you know, you have to pay $50, $100, $1,000 to move it. They literally got that 180 degrees from its, its intention. Steve, do you think that, I've started to wonder about this in the Bitcoin cash side. And I'm a big fan of Bitcoin cash. Do you think the digital cash uh, meme can, can sometimes get screwed up in the same way? Where if you forget the digital part, if all you're trying to do is convince people to use Bitcoin cash, exactly as they would use cash yeah. and it has no additional advantages, you forget the very thing that makes it better are the things that only a digital cash could do. The really unique things like yeah. micro payments and novel applications. Whereas like buying, a, buying something at a bar, I'm not going to say a cup of coffee because then I'll sound really scarily like people who want to artificially limit transactions with small blocks. I don't mean that, but I mean, if you're like, hey, 
the best use case is to just use it just like you would use cash. Well, unless there's something really, really wrong convenience wise with cash, which is not the case for most of us, unless we're in a hyperinflationary country, there's, there's no advantage to using digital cash over regular cash. When I say regular cash, I mean like, you know, credit card or whatever. I, I sometimes wonder if that gets lost a little bit. Yeah, I think it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. This is something like the, when there's this debate between is it a store of value or a medium of exchange? It's like, well, it's supposed to be both, obviously. It's supposed to be digital cash and digital gold at the same time. And, and I agree, there are all kinds of unique properties that you can get from the digital part that are overlooked when people take these memes or they take these ideas and they find uh, other incorrect connections to make and then think that that's important. This is actually one of my criticisms of BCH is that because they're so focused on the digital cash use case, they uh, the idea of using the blockchain for ways that are unapproved is more popular in BCH than it is B, uh, BSV. So if you're using the blockchain for not digital cash, you're using I've it heard, to- I've heard the spam word thrown around. Just like, just like we, we, the break yes. from BTC was because of the absurdity of that. Exactly. It's like, if it's not the cash use case, then it's spamming the blockchain. Well, that's preposterous as well. Obviously the technology should be used in all ways that people find it beneficial to them. Yeah. Derek, skin in the game. Or unless you want to get on this. I, wanted, I just wanted to elaborate too. I can go on skin in the game too, but uh, it's related to the other question of like hodling versus um, spending. I think, I think in some cases it's, it's lost in BCH as well. When you think it's purely digital cash and you focus on this idea that spending is what is valuable, I think you lose out on the fact yeah. that holding is a valuable function. Yeah. Um, I think Rothbard wrote, uh, I don't remember where, but I, I really like this quote. He said that... Uh, Money is also useful for its pot future potential. And so the ability to actually um, have cash stores on hand to be able to say yes to things in the future that might come is a function of value. Um, I also think the idea of increasing your purchasing power through holding a scarce asset uh, uh, over the long term is a valuable use case. Yeah. So I, I, I think both sides have sort of gotten it wrong. And I think I see a sort of a reaction in BCH against the absurdity of the idea that all you do is hold yeah. a token. And it's become this thing where uh, transaction volume or, or use in commerce is, is, is the measurement for success. And, and I don't think so. I think it's just, it's people using it. It's just, it's people using it for valuable purposes for, them, yeah. for their own individual, you know, lives. TK, I think you shared a, a tweet thread that I think was actually from a, a BSV supporter on this similar topic. And it was, and it was one of those that what took even further was like, you know, holding or hodling or whatever you got to call it, um, is like immoral. It's communist. It's people that want to get rich for doing nothing kind of going down this, which <clears throat> there's something in there that I understand. And I think I agree with, if we're going to have charitable interpretation that when, when, Bitcoin kind of became, and Steve, you wrote an article to this before the fork, it became a giant ICO, basically. It became a, hey, let's just buy this thing. We have no idea, but it just might go up in value. And that's all anyone wanted to just use it for was just to speculate that it might get more valuable in the future. We have no idea why. It can't be used for anything. That seems a little crazy. That seems like a mania. So to the extent that holding means people literally just buying it with no intention of it ever having any function, 
I get that. But this idea that like, and, and this kind of was big in BSV for a while, that like holding is like this communist thing or this immoral get rich quick thing. Um, I don't know. What, what, what did you want to talk about on that, TK? I know you brought that up and you had some questions on the, the holding question. Yeah. So let me, let me read the tweet. It says, all Bitcoiners want to get rich quick for nothing. Wanting to be rich for doing nothing is the very definition of communism. Now, in fairness to the poster, there's a lot of stuff going on in this crypto Twitter space now where I don't even know half the time if when people say things, they're actually saying what they mean or if they're playing a meme game or whatever. But I thought this was an interesting statement that created a lot of debate. And, and, and I'd love to know if you all agree with that. I mean, do you think that's communism? Do you think investing in or speculating on Bitcoin for the sake of being rich in the future is, is a kind of wanting to get rich for nothing? No, because it implies that assuming risk is doing nothing. <laughs> Um, or that foregoing opportunities in the here and now is doing nothing. Um, reality is a lot of the people who got rich in Bitcoin, not everybody. I mean, there were certainly, there are obviously people who, who, and I know some of them, who I look at them and I think, man, this guy is not very intelligent. But he did end up with a lot of coins, right? <laughs> and it's, it's kind of funny and, and whatever. But, there is, but at the same time, he was willing to hold coins when other people were not willing to do that. If you look at someone like Roger Ver, I think, I think you, can, you can start to see the absurdity of this argument because that argument is leveled at him often. I've seen a lot of core people in particular say, oh, you just got lucky because you just, you just were in Bitcoin early. You were in the right place at the right time. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Certainly he was in the right place in a certain sense, but there were a lot of other people in the right place at the right time too. And who would have had the courage to put all that money and energy and time into not only acquiring Bitcoin, but actually making it valuable. Um, so I think when, you, when you're willing to actually put up money and, 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 and assume risk and then delay consuming uh, for the chance of future uh, opportunity, that is a form of, of, of work and that is a form of, uh, of merit. So um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't buy this argument at all. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, there, I watched an interview with Roger where he had this great line. I don't know. It made it sound like it's literally true. And if it is, that's just the most amazing thing ever where um, he was talking about the meme of you hold your Bitcoin until you buy a Lamborghini. And he's like, I actually was already a millionaire and owned a Lamborghini and I sold my Lamborghini to buy Bitcoin at, like, back when it was, you know, like a dollar or whatever. So yeah. that is a demonstration that that is not that person. If that's true, made a, crap ton of money making uh, a good speculative investment. And also just from a pure economic standpoint, speculation serves a market function. Of course. If it's the case you're speculating on a good that in the future will have a really high value that you think right now is greatly undervalued, then you are essentially pushing uh, the, the price to the direction it should go. You think this is an undervalued good and by my investment, I'm making it more valued and bringing it close to kind of its actual value in the marketplace. So that is a valuable function if you can yeah. bet on the right coin. Well, yeah, you know what's communistic? If, if your product or good or currency, whatever, is threatened by people holding or speculating, well, then it's no good because people are going to do that if it's in their self-interest. And that, that's a good thing. It, it serves a function. Also, if it's threatened by people doing anything but holding, that's a problem. And I think you sort of got to that point on the, the BTC side. It's like, Look, just hold, 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 hold. Don't try to do anything. Make sure no one can use it. Make sure it's not cheap. Make sure it doesn't work. 
because all we, we don't want anyone to ever sell because that's a threat. It might make the price go down. It's only valuable if none of us ever sell it. Well, that's not really going to do any good either. So I think like the concept of holding, of course, it serves a value and people are going to do it. And it shouldn't be one of these things where it's like demonized, nor should it be where you're trying to artificially keep people from being able to exit, you know, yeah. and enter. It's, just one, it's one of those examples where you really do have the good idea that gets totally bastardized. Because back in the day when well, there was one Bitcoin and it was clear that it was going to scale on chain, the, the idea of, of hodling actually made a lot of sense. Because we, there, was, there were a lot of the, the OG Pharisees, like myself, um, who understood that there doesn't really need to be multiple chains, at that, especially at that time, because there weren't really use cases that, that were being served by altcoins in any meaningful way. It was like, look, this is actually the one coin to rule them all because it, it, uh, the competition was not up to snuff. So there was that meme, the idea of, look, I'm just going to hold because whatever happens in the short run, I know in the long run, this is going to be an incredibly valuable asset. That was correct. And that we saw a bunch of booms and busts from nothing to a dollar to $10 back down to a dollar and then a hundred dollars and $10. And all those people who kind of snickered to themselves and were like, yeah, well, I'm just holding because this is the real coin. All of that was justified until it wasn't. This is why I think the, the hodling meme is kind of cruel because you have a lot of kind of dumb people who think to themselves, oh, what am I supposed to do with this asset? I'm supposed to buy it and never use it. And it's going to appreciate in value. And if I take out a loan to buy it, I'm going to make even more money. Is it just going to appreciate in value when the underlying value proposition of BTC was taken out underneath it? And now you, 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 uh, it is not going to serve the function that it was otherwise going to serve. So I see the hodling meme is like, well, it makes sense so long as, so long as the idea is you, you hold the asset because way in the future, you're going to be able to spend it because it's this super unique thing. That, that part of the argument got lopped off. And now it's like, oh, you hold it. And in fact, you're not even supposed to spend it. You're never going to be able to spend it. It doesn't matter because it's a store of value, which is just a dumb argument. So I think, I think if we're going to talk about communism too, I actually think the argument that the way you made your money is not legitimate. It is, you did not work for it. That is a much more communistic argument. That's the argument. Idle that's capital leveled. should not be gaining returns. <laughs> exactly. exactly. On the land. That's the argument that's made by the Marxists. So if you're, if you're saying that, oh, well, you know, you can't, you can't hoard wealth. That's not okay. You can't store your wealth. You can't accumulate things. That, that is the argument that is made to justify redistributionism and stuff like that. So um, I know the guy is not a communist. I know he doesn't intend it like that, but, but I, would, I would almost see his argument as more of that vein than the opposite. So I think that's one concept that, that needs to die. Everyone calling each other a communist with the expectation <laughs> that that's going to somehow... Oh, but I was just about to get into this thing of like worker-owned factories that's been <laughs> propagating out there. So, okay, go ahead, TK. Well, that is, us, that is a useful metaphor still. We can't use the word commie anymore. It's so fun. <laughs> well, it, it's almost analogous to calling someone a racist. You totally have the right to do that. And if you really mean that and feel that way, more power to you. But once you do that, you do know the discussion's over, right? No one's going to respond to that by saying, oh, really, help me understand what is it about me that All makes me- All three of us crazy. white guys just got really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, if I think someone's racist, right, and, and, and I truly want to deal with the problem, I'm going to have a conversation in a way 
that makes this person want to engage me so that I can get them to take accountability for their ideas. Hey, you said such and such. Here's how I heard it. Here's why that sounded racist to me. I would like to hear you explain what you meant, you know, and then express my objection. What do you think about that? But the moment you antagonize someone with this label, then you've ended the discussion. And I think if we're going to have a conversation about Bitcoin, me calling you a communist doesn't really get us anywhere. And I've seen debates where nearly an hour is spent on each side calling the other side communists and defending themselves against attacks of communism. And it's like, look, hey, do your ideas work or not, right? What is the logic of the system you're advocating for? What are the economics of it? Does it work? You know, I, I, don't, I don't care what label we use to refer to you. Let's talk about skin in the game, man. So this, this came up a lot um, and continues to, and it should. It's a very important concept, and it's baked into the foundation of Bitcoin, the idea of aligning incentives so that you're not relying on goodwill or people being nice or people having the same ideology or being friends or being cooperative, but you're relying on an incentive structure where they stand to lose personally by doing things that are bad for the system. And that's sort of a part of skin in the game. Great concept. Very important concept. Uh, how is it getting uh, misused or bastardized? Well, I don't think skin in the game as a concept was ever intended to mean I have skin in the game. You need to shut up. I have skin in the game. You're wrong. Like that, that was not how it was meant to be used. It was just meant to be like an evaluative tool. Um, when, when you're referring to how you evaluate assets and how you evaluate ideas a little bit, it's just one metric. It's, it's not an end all be all. It's not an, it's not a mic dropping. So like the, the probability that someone will make an accurate or useful discovery increases to the extent to which their well-being uh, benefits from them making an accurate or truthful discovery or innovation. And if they have nothing to gain, the, the odds that they'll do it decrease. Would that be a fair? I think the second part of that is correct. So to the extent that one does not have skin in the game, then one does not pay the, you could say, you could think there isn't a net, a built-in evolutionary mechanism for those people to lose their resources and go bankrupt. Um, so the way I like to think about skin in the game in Bitcoin is who should make the decisions about how the network is upgraded in particular? Is it people who, ha who are hobbyists or is it people who have actually spent tens of millions of dollars in network infrastructure that have a lot riding on making sure that the coin is profitable in the future? So this is now, instead of like talking about this with network infrastructure, it's now people who are speculating on the asset. It's like, hey, I, if, if, if BCH goes down, my family doesn't eat. Therefore, I should be the one making the decisions for how the, the protocol upgrades because well, I've taken on the most part, risk. Um, you know, my, my opinions have more weight because I'm taking a, a bigger bet. There's something in there that's like, I think the analogy I used in our conversation was like, would you say, hey, I should be coaching the football team because I borrowed a couple hundred grand from the Russian mob to bet on it. And if they yeah. lose, <laughs> I die. Like yeah. Say, yeah. Well, that person, maybe they're properly incentivized for that team's success, but it doesn't mean that they're any better at making decisions for the team. In fact, they're probably, <laughs> their judgment sounds kind of bad. Exactly. Think, so go ahead. Go ahead, Derek. Well, I would just, I like what Steve said is, I think it's, he says, I think it's the latter part when I'm taking it to mean that someone who doesn't have skin in the game at all, like that's a useful metric towards sort of evaluating. Like if they don't have any kind of skin in the game whatsoever, any kind of incentive or motivation, 
but someone who has skin in the game, that's not a, that's not a, uh, that's not the end all be all of how you evaluate what they're doing or saying, because if it were, then the, the argument should, would really be sort of a reductio ad absurdum where whoever can assume the most ridiculous, outrageous amounts of risk should be yeah. the ones who's listened to. And yeah. yeah. I also think there's a difference between accuracy of ideas and who has power in action. So if, if I say, you know, hey, uh, I hear some financial management guy spouting off his opinions on Twitter about what I should do with my finances. Well, he doesn't stand to lose if I lose. Uh, therefore, he's likely to be wrong. I don't think that's correct. It yeah. may be the case that I don't want someone actually managing my money if they don't lose anything right. by me losing. Right. But they may have correct ideas about, th- right? Like you can have no skin in the game and you can, you can be have truthful insights potentially. Maybe you're less likely to, but in some cases you're more likely to if you're a little bit removed from the situation. So like the truth of what you're saying, your ideas is separate from whether or not you ought to be entrusted with taking action. Yeah. So I think this is an interesting way to look at it is the skin in the game analogy over time. And the people that bastardize this particular analogy um, aren't looking on a long enough time frame. So it goes something like this intelligent and reasonable people like Peter Thiel assume a lot of risk. And we know that they have made lots of money by assuming that risk. So they must be competent and they should be the decision makers. Therefore, I, if I take on a lot of risk, I'm kind of like Peter Thiel because Peter Thiel took on a lot of risk and he's competent. Now, the, the, the error here is that it's not just the taking on of risk at time one. It's that the risk you t- took on turned out to be a good judgment call. So yeah, you took on the risk, but you, because you had good judgment, you took on the risk that turned out to be a, a, uh, a gamble that paid off. So, so it's it, almost like the, the market process itself, any one individual instance may or may not be correct, but if you can back away and look at the system as a whole, a system in which you gain or lose based on your decisions is going to produce better, more accurate decisions. Yeah, and, and this is something, you, you actually get into this like in some economic theory, there's a, there's a kind of a connection with the efficient market hypothesis, which is that like knowledge is evenly distributed throughout society and therefore you end up with these torturous reasoning processes that conclude profits are impossible or it's like just a gamble. I think people are looking at risk in this case in the abstract where it's like, oh, any entrepreneur is essentially throwing darts at a dartboard, taking on this percentage risk or that percentage risk, and there's no good judgment or bad judgment. Like that, that is a completely mistaken way to look at how co- demonstrated competence works in the world is that the people who are the ones who choose the right risk to take on are the ones that get rewarded. Those are the people that are are maybe better decision makers than people who arbitrarily take on risk just by going down to the casino and gambling. It doesn't mean that somehow your insight is going to be better just because you, you have a lot to lose. Guys, I quit my job and I'm relying on this video making me enough revenue on my YouTube channel <laughs> to survive. That's how you know that it's quality because I have skin in the game. Hey, let, let me speak to that really quickly because there's an epistemic problem when it comes to talking about statements like that, right? We're referring to something real. This came up in Steve's conversation, that whole appeal to how much sacrifice I'm making. So the epistemic problem is this. I can't know how much skin in the game Steve has when it comes to those kinds of statements, right? I mean, just because I assume 
that I'm making more sacrifices than, than him doesn't mean that I'm right. He might be he might be hitching his wagon to Bitcoin in ways that I can't even imagine and in ways that he doesn't want to tell. Also, just because you state in public that you are sacrificing your life for it doesn't mean we have evidence that you are actually doing it. So you might say my family won't eat if Bitcoin fails. That might be true. It might not be true. Right. How do I know that for sure? And there's a broader issue, too. I think people make so many assumptions about people's other people's position and sacrifice in relation to Bitcoin. And for me, I'm an agnostic on other people's positions. So Peter Schiff, for instance. By the way, there were YouTube comments on our last video that were like, no coiners. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. But also emotionally detached to what they think about my position, right? But you take somebody like Peter Schiff, who probably makes a lot of money trolling people on Bitcoin, certainly gets a lot of attention. I wouldn't put it past him that he might own Bitcoin. I don't know. I'm not going to assume that just because he carries himself in public a certain way that I know exactly how much skin he has in the game or what his risk position is. Well, yeah. And when the measurement is so often in crypto, how many followers you have on Twitter and how active you are on Twitter and how many likes you get. And that's the standard by which we judge who has more skin in the game. Yeah. You can really see how ridiculous it is. I also think, so TK, I was just thinking about it as TK said it, this idea that my kids won't eat if this one asset fails to me is revealing of if, if that were true is actually a, a sign that maybe we shouldn't trust you because who puts themselves in such a position in crypto of all things. And I, and I know like all of you guys all have different business ventures and things you're doing, but I know if one of them failed, I would not think that you have no other options in life. That, that almost makes me feel like I'm being manipulated or held hostage. It, it reminds me of the old yeah. uh, National Lampoon's magazine cover that had a dog with a revolver and it said, buy this magazine or this dog gets it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like support Bitcoin cash or my children don't eat. It's like, wait a minute, hold on a second. I don't, I don't like the way that feels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Steve, yeah. you were going to go and do a debate BCH versus BTC with the YouTuber Hotep Jesus. Yeah. And at the 11th hour, even though it was still being promoted with your face on the image, you got swapped out for somebody. Yeah. Uh, And then in that debate, the pro BCH person, Vin Armani, who I actually like, um, said BCH can't scale and it will never get to global scale. We'll have to use side chains. Both of those things totally took me by surprise. Mm. Anyone? (laughs) thoughts on this crazy thing? Yeah, I, I guess I should say something about it. So <clears throat> I've been, uh, this Hotep Jesus person has been getting more involved in crypto publicly. So I watched uh, some of the stuff he's been doing. And I actually like a lot of his commentary. I think he's a pretty sharp guy. I th- he seems like he's signaling that he's open-minded. And I find that very um, attractive. And so he was, he had on Paul, I don't know how to say his, I think it's sports stork. I don't know how to say his name. Um, he had Paul on who's a, who is a legit OG. He's one of the people, one of the only people in BTC that I, I have genuine respect for. I think he's a thinking person. And so I thought, and, and uh, so Hotep put out a, a call. He said, Hey, anybody want to debate Paul um, on the BCH position? We're doing a BTC BCH thing. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And so had it set up, everything was all good to go. I had a huge amount of research. I couldn't wait. I, had, I, I still have actually the file, a bunch of quotes from stuff he's written because he's written a bunch of excellent commentary that I actually agree with. He's very critical of like the core cult and all of that. 
and then yeah, so this because this was this took place over Twitter. Uh, somebody in the in the BCH community they this rang the alarm bell. Oh no, the BSV shill is now going to represent uh, try to represent BCH in this debate, and really we all know he's going to be shilling uh, BSV. And so so they got together, they organized like a deplatforming. And I was 100% deplatformed for the first time in my life. And I actually, I talked to Hotep and during this and afterwards, we talked, we had a long, we had like an hour long conversation the other day. Um, he, he seems like a cool guy, but he admitted to me, yeah, it was a deplatforming. Like, sorry, uh, you know, but I do think, you know, the, these people have concerns that you're actually uh, a BSV person. And I can understand from his position He's not about to go through multiple years of content and all the personalities and all the, the drama in crypto. So it's like, you know, no hard feelings for Hotep, but it just revealed how laughable parts of this um, BCH community are. And they, they would say, they were saying things like, well, Steve is not a representative. He's not an elected representative of the Bitcoin cash community. And who is an elected representative? Well, it's whoever this little cabal of like 15 <laughs> people in a Telegram group decides should go represent the position. And then the height of irony, I could not believe it, is then claiming explicitly he doesn't think we're going to get to gigabyte blocks and he thinks blockchains can't scale on chain. He actually said those words. I'm like, if I, he said, and then he said, on top of that, he said, the only people that are making such a claim that blockchains can scale globally on chain are BSV crazies. Yeah. I'm like, if I were a, an actual BSV shill, I could not have done a better job than that. Literally, to say there is one blockchain trying to tra scale on chain and every other one is going to need side chains and other stuff, and it's BSV is to say BSV is the only legitimate um, big block Bitcoin. The other thing of irony here is part of the stated reasons for replacing me is because of I'm not I'm non technical because I like to present myself as non technical. I say I'm non technical, and the one technical thing you can't get wrong supporting Bitcoin Cash is the size of the blocks, like it. You're, you're there for one reason as a BCH supporter, and that's to talk about why we need to increase the block size. And Vin was wrong about that by somewhere between 2,000-fold and 10,000-fold at scale. Oh, so, yeah. so Hotep was only interested in talking to, not, to, to technical people, although no. Peter Cormack... No, 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 no. Hotep was not at all. BCH, the, the BCH... Yeah, exactly. They said, well, no, what, no the, the actual fact of the circumstance is that maybe about a year ago or so, I, I concluded that there's one semi-anonymous dev named Imaginary Username, who I think is incredibly toxic. Now, he is integrated into uh, a lot of the dev development communities in Bitcoin Cash. And what happened is he made a decision that he was going to try to get me ousted from the Bitcoin Cash community. And so now the little, the little cabal of 15 people are listening to this imaginary user guy and name guy, and they go, "Oh, well, Steve is a BCH sill." And now, now Omri is going, "Oh, everybody knows that Steve is a Steve is a BCH sill, and maybe he doesn't have skin in the game BSV. or whatnot." Uh, oh, thank you, uh, the BSV shill. Yeah, well, so, I saw it, in Telegram that, uh, and this gets back to, of course, Hotep's not going to go look at all this stuff. But you yeah. saw in Telegram after our video, which they used as evidence that you were a BSV shill. Someone yeah. posting and people agreeing that all we did was talk how amazing Craig was, right? <laughs> talk about how awesome Craig was and how awesome BSV were. And I thought, well, yeah. we didn't really mention Craig at all. 
And I don't movie, think you could have taken away from that video. That Steve I said that I, I find Craig incredibly entertaining. Uh, yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. And I said he was, he was a, li- he's a legitimate liability. And TK said he was irrelevant. <laughs> but, 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 I, but I did say Craig is not a bug. He's a feature. Right. Um, well, well so, 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 but I just wanted to, to conclude that thread. What, what has actually happened concretely is it's just, uh, this the develop developer solidarity is a big deal in cryptocurrency communities definitely in btc and it also is in bch so because this one person decided they didn't like me um and they're connected in this little group of people that's how the word got out and then they decided we need to propagandize hotep and intervene on behalf of themselves to try to get me um deplatformed well, and then they the denied doing it they, they, were, it's they were gloating about it first on Twitter and in Telegram, bragging about it. And then you say, oh, I was deplatformed. You, you were not deplatformed at all. Yeah, that's that's never okay, exactly so, what happened. So, Nobody Hotep, demanded you to be removed. Yeah. Hotep Jesus wanted to learn about Bitcoin and understand these forks. So he had a BSV versus BTC debate. He had a BSV versus BCH debate, right? And a BTC versus BCH debate. So he thinks he has his bases covered, but apparently... He needs to have a BCH versus BCH debate because yeah. it seems like there are two very distinct camps. And I don't know if you yeah. can come down to the ABC and Bitcoin Unlimited, but having, having someone go on and say BCH will never scale on chain fully, you got to have side chains, whatever. That is certainly not the unanimous opinion of people who support BCH. So there's clearly something going on here. No, that one actually was an anomaly. That, that, that was so bad that doesn't even represent anybody in the BCH community. That I, I cannot believe that those words were said. Um, and then, of course, Vin doing the thing that he does, he tries to say, well, that's not actually what I said. I claim this other thing. When if you listen to the debate, it, they had they, like several times brought up the block size. A couple of the times he was talking about, you know, block size at present. And then there was explicit conversations about what about the block size in the future? There was no doubt if you listen to the debate, Vin was explicitly saying in the future, we're not going to get to gigabyte blocks. But, he, but is he now saying essentially, it, no, 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 it'll get there eventually. But all I'm yeah. saying is we don't need to f- focus on that yet. It, we need to Yeah, it'll be market driven. We'll scale as you know, there's like organic um, uh, traffic on the BCH network, and then maybe we can get there. And which is that gets to an interesting question of like what it, what qualifies as organic traffic? Who's well, I mean, but but yes, but the point I wanted to make is that is not in any way representative of any relevant person in Bitcoin Cash, and I can and there, there's two examples of it. One is the you know there's there are two implementations, uh, uh, main node implementations for um, Bitcoin Cash right now. One's Bitcoin Unlimited, the other is Bitcoin ABC. Bitcoin Unlimited two years ago set up or maybe even longer ago than that, they set up a gigablock test net, which is to try to test things with gigabyte blocks. Two years ago, they mined their first one gigabyte block on the test net. That's already, that has been an explicit milestone for a long time because essentially you get to like visa levels at one gigabyte. Okay, so that's explicit on the BU side. On the Bitcoin ABC side, on their own roadmap, they have a projection of potentially going as high as uh, one terabyte blocks. So that, and that's like 50 transactions per day for like 10 billion people is their back of the envelope calculation. So it's like that, that idea that blockchains can't scale on chain is not, that is, that is like a minority of one position uh, in, in Bitcoin Cash that I'm aware of. I have not heard anybody else claim that. And it's just so ironic that that's the person that claims it. The official elected representative is the one that claims this in the debate. All right, TK. And then, and then I want to bring it to BSV because I got a couple 
questions and beefs and discomforts I want to unravel. Steve, if you had done the debate and represented BPH, what would you have done differently? Everything. It was a terrible debate, in my opinion. Um, I I thought he did a terrible job. I would have talked, uh, ironically, I would have talked about a lot of more technical details. Um, There's Uh, all. What would have been stronger about your case? Uh, well, it, it's an embarrassment of riches. There are many things I was I was over prepared um, for this debate to choose from uh, from them. But I would have talked a lot about the history. So I think a lot of newbies don't quite understand what how Bitcoin fundamentally changed. Like the the original idea for Bitcoin that was almost universal is that. Bitcoin is going to scale by increasing the block size. And all of the relevant merchants and all the industry players and the intellectuals were were in agreement. That fundamentally changed. And when that changed, the value proposition of the whole network completely changed. So BTC really is a different project speculating on future technology of the Lightning Network that is not what was uh, that t- what not what took Bitcoin from zero to one. And then you can also go into like some of the history of, oh, and it just so happens uh, that the developers that were working on the BTC project couldn't secure their own funding. And so they went to venture capital to secure funding and they created a company which only profits right now if the blockchain doesn't scale. As long as you keep blocks at one megabyte, there is then artificial demand for their product. And it's like, obviously, that's a, that's a horrible um, a horrible uh, negative incentive. Are you so saying Blockstream well, has skin in the game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then there's uh, one other thing I wanted to say too. That specifically why I wanted to talk with Paul because he's got a lot of ideas that are that need challenging. Uh, he one of Paul's arguments is that well, actually Satoshi might have been convinced by Hal Finney that we need to keep the one megabit block size in place, and maybe this is the case because he, after all, he didn't take it out. And I'm assuming that Paul does not, is not aware of the quote from Ray Dillinger, who was uh, one of the person that did one of the original code reviews for Bitcoin, where Ray Dillinger was talking to Satoshi and Hal and says that Satoshi was convinced by Hal to put in the one megabyte block size, but all three of us agreed that it had to be removed in order to scale. So that means not only did Satoshi believe that, it was, that we had to remove the block size limit, but Hal Finney himself might have believed we had to remove the block size limit, which is the story that is told by the BTC camp that is, goes very contrary to that. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff like that I would, I would bring up. All right. I want to talk about something with BSV that I, I see all over the place that just, we, we touched a little bit on it at the end of the last video about more on the sort of uh, surveillance is not quite the right word, but the sort of total transparency in the law enforcement using Bitcoin, all this stuff. But there's like this really, really strong, I wouldn't even say it's just like a, hey, we're not crypto anarchists. There's like this really strong, like pro-government streak that you find among BSV supporters, like to the point of absurd naivete, like that the justice system always gets it right, that law enforcement, oh, the greatest thing in the world is to give them more tools because of course they'll only get bad to guys and they'll do it with perfect efficiency. It's like the way conservatives are about the military. Like, oh, the whole government's run badly and inefficiently and has bad incentives, except for the military. They make all, they, they don't, there's no corruption there. There's no, and there's this weird thing that's like this trust in like the judicial system, the law enforcement system, and that, it's just unequivocally a wonderful thing 
If you're not doing anything bad, you have nothing to worry about. That's such a strange <laughs> strain. And I don't know where that came from. That was nowhere in any crypto community until BSV emerged. Uh, so I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. So I, I have now stronger criticism of BSV than I did before. And the last time we spoke, um, I was saying, you know, I think Craig is a, is a big unknown. And even from just a business perspective, I believe he could arbitrarily change the protocol himself. And he'd have enough miners and enough followers be like, okay, well, that's what the new protocol is, even if it's a really bad change. And I actually kind of have a prediction, uh, something I, I want to talk about. <clears throat> So there's this idea now uh, that has been, Craig wrote an article not that long ago where he's talking about Bitcoin being confiscated, not, not Bitcoin being blacklisted, but Bitcoin actually being confiscated from um, individuals. There could be some way that miners with government approval could successfully confiscate Bitcoin. This is where the rubber is going to meet the road where these people are talking about law is law. So technically speaking, not a technical person, but from my understanding, people in the comments can correct me, um, the way that a transaction is constructed, it's you have like the, you could say the instructions for the transactions, and then it's signed with the private key of the individual creating the transaction. So there's no way to change the the instructions of the transaction, let's say like the outputs of the transaction without invalidating the signature. You can create a, so make it to make it concrete. So what is preventing miners from receiving somebody's transaction, fiddling with it, changing the output so that they pay themselves? Well, th what prevents that is precisely the signature that if they change one of the outputs, now you've made an invalid transaction. Okay. So, I, uh, Craig and a lot of his supporters that I'm talking with seem to be saying, well, that might, uh, we might be able to override that with enough hash power. It might be that you can effectively create invalid transactions so that government can seize your Bitcoin effectively. How might that be done? And here's what I think is going to happen. I think there is going to be a change to the code that allows maybe one of two things in February. I think what Craig is going to do is he's either going to make some kind of a master key system whereby you have, uh, you have like transactions go through normally, but there's also this other potential transaction available where if this, the master key, if the government key signs the, the transaction, then it, can, then it can essentially do whatever it wants on the network and confiscate the Bitcoin. That's possibility one. Possibility two is they change the protocol such that the miners aren't checking the validity of the signatures, because that way you can you could you could think of it as putting an uh, invalid transaction, therefore making it an invalid block. It's still kind of stuffing it into the blockchain anyway if you're not checking the signatures. So I think here's what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to see that upgrade in February. One of these two things is going to happen, and because of this, we're going to see Craig Wright move the Satoshi coins. I think that's what he's leading up to. And I think that is the reason he is going the law as law mentality. Law trumps the blockchain is because he wants to move those Satoshi coins and either sell them or just to kind of prove that he's Satoshi. I think that's where we're going. And I think that's why all these people saying, oh, uh, law, law trumps the blockchain are, are, um, are, are, are yeah, so uh, kind of supporting this idea. And I think this is where things are going. Because technically speaking, I don't know how you can change an output of a transaction without invalidating the signature. So Steve, help me out. I just want to make sure I see that connection between the predictions and Craig moving the Satoshi coins. What, what is it about one of your predictions coming true 
that affects what he does with the Satoshi coins. So my prediction is that. And by the way, everybody in BCH is livid right now for you presupposing that he actually could move. Satoshi. No, no. So no, what I'm saying is. Supposing he can't move them. What I'm saying is. He wants, so he wants desperately to move those coins. And right now he can't because he doesn't have the keys. Why he doesn't have the keys is a separate question, but I don't think he has the keys. Um, so what he can do is under the guise of returning the uh, Bitcoin to its original protocol, he can change things such that he can create essentially an invalid signature that's not, that the miners don't check and you can still stuff that into the blockchain. And if that's the case, well, if you have majority hash, Sure, you can move anybody's coins. And I think this also fits with the idea of governments being the ones who, are, who have the final say in like what the blockchain is. Go- governments trump law and all this, this weird idea, Isaac, that you're talking about that like, well, you know, Bitcoin is not supposed to be above the law. I think all of that fits if he can say, hey, look, the blockchain is an immutable ledger. You can't change the past. But what you can do is stuff invalid blocks in the blockchain if the official government um, declares that that is the case. I think that's where we're heading. All right. So, so one question. Does, do these predictions require one to believe that Craig doesn't have the keys? No, he could, he could have the keys and still do something like this. Well, I, I would love to know it, the specific details of how he envisions confiscation of Bitcoin happening. And I think it's going to be that it's essentially we're going to break the rules, but it's okay if we break the rules because law is law. And the government has said, in this case, the rules of the network will be broken. Now, I saw your Twitter exchange with Shatters. What, what did you think about his, his explanation to you? You have to remind me of, of exactly what we're talking I, I don't, about. I don't know if you guys went back and forth. Um, I, I haven't looked at it in a couple of days, but let, let, me, let me pull it up while we talk. Yeah, yeah. Steve, that is interesting while TK is pointing that out, that <clears throat> since the BSV-BCH split, and I don't remember, I could just be uninformed. I just don't remember much rhetoric from Craig or anybody all about making sure that Bitcoin is this great tool to help crack down on criminals and stuff. That there were people that would say, hey, it's not anonymous. Hey, it's, it's, right. it's actually less likely to be used than cash for illegal stuff. Um, you heard that. But this really strong like pro-law enforcement thing, that's ramped up so much since the BSV split. And specifically, the examples are always used the worst possible things you can imagine, like child pornography and whatever. And it almost feels like, it's almost like warming people up so that they're not mad when you're like, hey, we let government go ahead and screw around with things, but it's only to catch this horrible child right. pornography ring. Okay, we've been primed for that. And yeah, we're all for it because that's what Bitcoin's going to help us with. But there's, there's a scenario in which what you described happens and BSV actually like gains market share because of it yeah. and wins yeah. Yeah. By, by sort of losing the vision of what, at least what most of exactly. us Bitcoin was, it may gain market adoption, but it, it may not bring about a world that's better exactly. than what we now. Exactly. Maybe it is in some ways, maybe there are pros and cons, but that's definitely not what I thought Bitcoin was all about. So this is where I think there is real validity, at least, to the BSV argument and practical validity in terms of actually being integrated into the world. The pitch seems to me to be something like, okay, because we don't want blockchains to stand apart from the law and apart from government to challenge government, we're going to tweak it in such a way where law and government can override the blockchain. 
Well, yeah, I, I want to give you a backdoor said, access. Have to, you seen anyone ta- discuss any kind yeah. of backdoor thing explicitly? Uh, well, but it's it's yeah. just that one claim that your coins can be confiscated. Yeah. Right? Like, so there's if, you're, what if you're saying is there's an implied there's an implied thing that they're going to do, even though they haven't necessarily explicitly said that. Uh, no, I would say it's definitely explicit. Um, there's a bunch of uh, I mean I I no, explicit it, that they're going to change the protocol. So I, so it depends on what you mean by change the protocol. So the idea is, well, we're going back to the original protocol. Okay, well, what if it's the case that, for example, there's a bug in the protocol and the bug allows you to create a, tr- a transaction with an invalid signature that the miners don't check the signature. Now, the BSV people are going to be able to say, well, hey, that's the original protocol and Satoshi created it perfect. There's nothing we need to change. Other people might, might say, hey, no, obviously this is a bug because you're not checking the validity of the signatures. Steve, with majority hash rate, the ability to do the, the invalid transaction, would that also enable the ability to do other things like raise the coin limit? Yes, this is this is now I have a, a stronger foot to criticize BSV on if they go down this route. But I'm really interested to see exactly what this February upgrade is going to bring because I, I think it's going to allow something like this. Where, where, so so imagine I'm a Machiavelli and I'm talking to the state. And I'm like, okay, guys, so you have this technology, right? It's called Bitcoin. And it has these horrible properties where like we can't manipulate it and it's this immutable ledger and blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you what. Let's change it and we can integrate it in such a way where if we have majority hash rate, we can uh, confiscate people's money by creating invalid transactions. But after all, the law is what determines validity and not the, not the software. And we can, if, if necessary, or if in the, in the long run, if we decide this is necessary, we can inflate so if you're going to try to create Machiavellian panopticoin, this is an excellent way of doing it, of saying, okay, look, let's make it so miners with majority hash rate can actually uh, move coins that they otherwise wouldn't have access to and change things around. Even, and they can also pitch it as, look, it's, a, it's an immutable ledger. Let it's me not ask going, you one, one quick yeah. question before TK, you can jump in with your... Yeah. Is there something about BCH or even BTC... That pro, that would not yes. let this happen there as well. It seems like if yes. what you're describing is possible, it's possible that it could happen on any of the nope. chains. Because you would have to change the software such that the miners would be building on an invalid block. And with the other softwares, that is impossible. So my, so if miner anybody running the software is not going to be building their blocks on an invalid block unless you change the protocol such that and the software such that you can so the, still so the go developers the exactly. protocol developers would have to make this change so like it could happen yes. on any on any chain if the protocol developers oh, sure. implemented it well sure sure yeah absolutely you could say miners don't have to you don't have to build on valid blocks but, yeah, but bch sure. and btc are explicitly like exactly this is one of the things we never want to mess with and bsv is not saying explicitly that's what they're going to do, but implying that yes, the outcome of that should be possible. This is why I want to see what happens in February, because maybe I'm wrong and there's some magic thing where miners can actually confiscate your coins. I don't think that's the case. And I think it's going to be under the guise of returning to the original protocol, which as a completely separate discussion, practically speaking, if you want to integrate with the governments in the world and you want to really build a financial system and the crossover between the markets and governance and law, then that actually is a pretty good pitch to say, well, it's not totally immutable. If you have, if, if, the, if there's enough power that agrees we need to make these changes, then yeah. Satoshi was mad at Gavin for talking to the CIA. <laughs> he did seem a little, he was a little worried, um, I think. Well, 
he was worried about Gavin talking about him as like a shadowy figure. He said, I wish you wouldn't refer to me to the press as a shadowy figure that creates a pirate currency angle. Um, so Steve, are you, are you, um, because, because I see a lot of predictions though, in the, out of BSV people saying that it's BTC that's going to be seized and that they're going to, that BTC is going to start being seized. Now, is yeah. that just like a, a distraction you think, according to your theory, that's not actually going to happen. I don't know if any of that happens. My suspicion is it has to do something with SegWit. That's my guess. Not necessarily because though Craig was talking about there's a problem with SegWit, but I know other people have had criticisms with SegWit yeah. from a from a technical standpoint. And maybe it's the case that SegWit transactions are insecure in a way that we didn't otherwise know. But in terms of non-SegWit transactions, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I would love to be proven wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think just in general, like w whether it's true or not, it, it does strike me as a little naive for people to think that that if that did happen, that it might not, it might not fundamentally change the value proposition for existing investors in Bitcoin, because a lot of people have come under this guise that it's not seizable. Yeah. And if that changes, are you going to see a, a mad rush out of Bitcoin from people who, who otherwise were really excited about it? Because I, I think you've had 10 years of people believing this. So yeah. Um, Believe that this is like the fundamental part of Bitcoin, yeah. even more so than as much as we like to talk about commerce being like a, a really important feature, and, and certainly is. Um, the core people totally neglect that. A non-seizability, non-repudiability is yeah. very important. Uh, well, at least, at least seem to be very important to. Now, the argument I'm seeing out of BSV, just to give a charitable interpretation, is that yeah, TK was about to jump in here and defend his coin. I'm just well, it's that I'm ready, man. It's that this will only happen in extreme circumstances. Now, obviously, the question is, what is extreme? And why would you trust the state to limit itself to bad guys when historically that's the exact opposite of, of what it does? Yeah, TK, your turn. You got to defend the, the, the faith here. All right. So I think there are, there are three points I want to address. One is the, the political culture of the BSV community. So... I do not get the impression at all that the BSV community is predominantly statist. In fact, uh, Craig Wright has made it clear that he is libertarian. Um, he has he has referred specifically to corrupt governments. He has explicitly acknowledged that there are governments that act in bad faith, and he advocates for the BSV blockchain and the concept of an honest ledger as the best one that can keep those corrupt governments accountable. Now, you might disagree with that, but, but I do want to make it clear that it is an explicit stating of, of a healthy mistrust or of government, or rather a healthy acknowledgement of the possibility that governments can go corrupt. There are a lot of people in the BSV community that profess to be libertarian, and I think this is where we have to make that distinction between status-sounding rhetoric and actual behavior. Because when you, when you listen to many people in the BSV community talk about their economic views or their political views, they do make critiques of bad things that governments do. Listen to them talk about the concept of sound money and inflation, and they will do it. Listen to them talk about the concept of monopolies, and they will but, do it. But I'm not, I'm not so concerned about what people do or don't believe in the community as much as the specific excitement and support for empowering governments, whatever that means. It's always a little vague. And don't worry, they'll only go after the bad guys. And everything you do will be written on the blockchain. And if you do something illegal, they'll seize your coins, whatever. Like, 
I don't care what, whether you call yourself a libertarian, whatever you call yourself, that to me is a dangerous, naive, scary, anti-individual freedom sentiment that even if it's mostly used to catch bad guys, if you know anything about history or public choice theory or the incentive structures of governments, that is something that should not be celebrated. Yeah, but those same people is what, what I'm saying is those same people will turn around and criticize other things that governments do. So when they say the governments are going to get the bad guys, they're not saying this in a naive way like the government never gets things wrong. And the reason why they are using a lot of those extremes that you talk about is because they're specifically focused on the things that they believe are bad and should be punished by governments. So I don't think it's coming from a naivete. I think it's coming from a presupposed agreement that, hey, this is bad. This is the kind of thing that governments should stop. But, but how would you, how would you feel if you, heard, if you heard a bunch of libertarians being like, hey, we just got the Edward Snowden leaks and we found out that uh, you know, NSA is listening to everybody on their cell phones and their, and their Echo device. Yes, they're going to get the bad guys and no <laughs> more people conspiring in their homes. They're going to get their doors kicked down and they're going to get bent over in prison. Would you be like, oh yeah, that's a really great sentiment by people who have distrust of government? Not at all. But if I, if I also heard those same libertarians talk about the two-way nature of this transparency, and how it's not only going to eliminate corruption among people that they think are bad, but that they include in their concept of corruption some things that governments do, then I would look at that in, in an entirely different manner. Here's why, but but you, don't, yeah. you don't think that governments can just go off the books? It's not like some world where governments are like, oh, too bad. Now but, everything but, we do is also transparent. But, but what I'm saying is that the, these very people are acknowledging that. So uh, th this is why I do think it's important to talk about to talk about other topics. For instance, when these people criticize these people, who are, who are these people? When, when people <laughs> what do you mean the these BSV people, TK? <laughs> when people in the BSV community talk about politics and money is just an example, they are open to criticizing bad or inefficient things that governments do, and they do advocate for keeping governments honest. So we're not talking about a community that just naively thinks that whatever government says is bad, no matter who that government is, that it's automatically bad. I don't see that at all. Now, is it the case that there may be some people in every community that are more statist than other people in those same communities? Absolutely. I don't think everybody in Bitcoin is libertarian or anarchist, not at all. I'm, I'm not uh, concerned about the people so much at all as I am, um, because at scale, that's what Bitcoin's gonna have. You're gonna have all sorts of different people. Right. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. What I, what I would, what I would be concerned about is if, if there is some mechanism by which, whether it's a protocol change or which I'm not convinced that, that that's what's going to happen. Um, but if there were some mechanism by which government could be empowered to seize Bitcoin, what is to stop them from doing a bad thing? Like, is there something inherent in, in Bitcoin so that stops them from seizing money from, right. you know, a good guy versus a child pornographer. Obviously, like, like I talked about this on Voxer the other day. I'm all for a world where bad people, objectively dangerous and bad people are rounded up by good people with guns. Like I'm not opposed to that. But the, how it happens without endangering other freedoms is the key. So that, yeah. for me, it doesn't matter what they think so much as what actually ends up happening with the technology. Yeah, so I, I want to give credit to Craig Wright for getting really to the heart of some philosophical issues because long-standing philosophical questions in the cypherpunk movement is the relationship between code and law. And I think 
there is good criticism of individuals who say, well, code stands above law or code is law. Okay, there's good criticisms of that. However, there's also valid criticisms of the idea that, well, no, uh, law in all circumstances trumps code. And this, I think, is exactly what's going to happen with the confiscation issue. Because imagine that it's the case that the only way you can confiscate um, Bitcoin is by breaking the software rules. I can imagine somebody having a consistent philosophy and say, well, it doesn't matter if we break software rules. This is the real world. If governments say we're going to confiscate your Bitcoin, it doesn't really matter what the technology says. It's just, a, you know, of course, in the real world, they're going to confiscate your Bitcoin. You have another reasonable philosophy, which is like, no, no, the point, the power of Bitcoin is precisely that you avoid this confiscation because the signatures are invalid. So I think this actually gets right to the heart of uh, some pretty big disagreements about which ultimately has more power. Is it the, is it the law or is it actually the code? And then yeah. for, yeah, in this particular case, I would have to side with the, the code argument that I want to live in a world in which there literally is not the power to have that kind of confiscation. This is an interesting debate that I think you do see a lot of like law is law. It's almost like the way constitutionalists are in political discourse, this really, this faith in this document, this will constrain things. And there's that law is law. There's the people that are like, no, code is law, which they view as like an external constraint on law. I wish everyone in crypto, this is my one wish, would go read like five times The Myth of the Rule of Law by John Hasnes, a phenomenal legal scholar. And in fact, I saw Ryan X. Charles tweeted a John Hasnes uh, video recently. I love Ryan. I interviewed him on my podcast. I interviewed Roger Ver on my podcast too. I'm interested in all this stuff. But (laughs) The Myth of the Rule of Law, the basic idea that like, there is no document you can create that will make humans incapable of altering that document. And there is no code you can write that will make humans incapable of altering or ignoring that code. At the end of the day, the ultimate binding constraint on the institutions we live in is beliefs, is our beliefs about what we will tolerate from those who are in these institutions. And, And there are various structures and incentives that, you know, come into play here. It's not that law is irrelevant because people believe in the law and respect it, which is a belief, passing a law will have an impact. But if they did not respect it, it would not have an impact. And so you have something that supersedes all of those. And I think that's really important to understand. It doesn't mean code or law are irrelevant at all. You can't just ignore them at, you know, and, and not suffer. But there is no, well, we will make sure, like you talked about in the last video, the protocol will never change. Well, that's it can if people want it too bad enough yeah. or law will be the final backstop. Yeah. Law is subject to interpretation by human beings and it always will be. So I got to make an interjection for the philosophy of mathematics here just because um, I think uh, what you see. All, all of us just glazed over instantly. <laughs> Are you going to claim that infinity doesn't exist? <laughs> it doesn't have to do with infinity this time. Uh, <laughs> no. So I see a pattern in um, the mathematical mind that is a similar pattern in the comp sci mind. It's a similar pattern in the Bitcoin mind. And it has to do with a particular philosophy of mathematics where they believe that uh, mathematics is kind of, um, it's the language of the universe. Like mathematic, mathematical truths are immutable in the most literal sense. You can't by committee decide that one plus one equals three. And so when they're looking at a system like Bitcoin, they look at the code because that's their natural psychological disposition. And they go, oh, well, the, it is written in the code that you, uh, 
breaking these rules results in an invalid signature on the network, and therefore code is law. Just like math is the law of the universe, the code is kind of the law of reality. And I see that, I see that as, an, as an error, uh, specifically. Yeah, I, 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 I want to dive back in here with the, um, uh, with, with, with the code and law thing. So I think there are two ways to interpret what Craig is saying when he talks about law. And, and the relationship with Bitcoin. The first way, and I think this is how almost everyone hears him outside of BSV. The first way is we need to make sure that Bitcoin is subservient to law and we need to do things to it in order to make sure it is as useful to government's desires and needs as possible. I think everyone outside of BSV hears it and that's, hears it that way and that's the basis for the concern. The second way to hear him is, is to hear him saying, if you really understood how Bitcoin was designed to work, it was never designed to undermine law, which is a powerful narrative that it is designed for that purpose. It was never designed to, to, to undermine law. That's a big misunderstanding from the beginning. And it was designed to operate within law. In your tweet about it, you quoted his article, Digital Gold, and he opens up talking about that, criticizing Nick Sabo, saying that, you know, you have this meme that Bitcoin was designed to be this anarchist tool, and he's arguing against that. I, I just pulled up Shatter's response to you, mm. and, and, and he says something here that I, I think is so important. He says, in, in, in reply to your question, Craig is just describing what could happen. This isn't new. It could have happened anytime in the history of Bitcoin. So whatever this phenomenon is of governments being able to use the blockchain for this or that to fight crime, Shatters is saying this is something that's always been possible from the beginning, which yeah. means he's not, he's not proposing that we do something to the blockchain that yeah. isn't already done in order to make it more government friendly. He's advocating for an understanding okay. of it that isn't yeah. an anarchist one in nature. All right. All right. So- so, so let's, let's, um, what's the word? Let's make this a litmus test. So, so this is actually your, you hit the nail on the head here. So if it's the case that within the protocol, as it has been developed, as it is in BCH and BTC, there is this possibility for confiscation that nobody understood, then I think you're right. If it's the case that actually it requires a kind of protocol change that we're going to see maybe in February, then I think Shatters and you and Craig are wrong. So, so I think we should actually see if it's possible to confiscate Bitcoin in this way, that's a very, very, very big deal. And, and so the question for you, TK, is if actually the way you get to confiscation is through a protocol change, and let's say by by making it such that the miners don't validate, don't have to validate the the signatures, would that change your perspective? Like, would, would you that, be? Yeah. 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 If there were some, if there were some protocol change that deviated from the very value proposition of BSV, which well, is the original Bitcoin, right? If there was some protocol change designed <laughs> to give arbitrary power to governments to seize money, I would be concerned about that. Okay, but but let me challenge you to, because I want to avoid a potential thing that might happen in the future. What if it's the case you, that in you the- You want to avoid me responding to any future criticism by saying, yeah. go back and listen to what I it, actually exactly. said. So, so <laughs> I can do what that if, anyway, though. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I see why you like Craig. He does the same thing. No. So <laughs> what if it's the case that there in explicit terms was a bug? in the original Bitcoin software that 
that everybody outside of BSV would say, this is obviously a bug because it, how it caused the stack overflow error where the miners aren't going to be validating signatures. And man, it's such a bug that it would allow miners just to confiscate your Bitcoin. And say that was in the original protocol. And then Craig goes, well, look, we're returning to the original protocol. What is your position? Do you think, oh, actually, okay, he's right? Or do you say, oh, well, no, that's a, he's, he's arguing ad bugum. Sure. I'll, I'll tell you now, it is not my expectation that that's what's going to happen, right? When I listen to your predictions, I, that's not what I believe at all. So I, I am proceeding and supporting based on the assumption that nothing like that is what's going on. If something like that did happen, I would have all the same questions that you have. Um, and, and, I and I would really want to know in great detail, what does this mean? And what are the implications for this thing that I love? I don't care about any technical argument that it's the original thing, but I fell in love with something and I want to know if this bug that's now been restored is going to undermine it and cause it to eat itself. And I would want to hear what the explanation for that is. And I would be open. I would be open to walking away from that discussion saying, I, I no longer support this, or I would be open to walking away saying, okay, my concerns are addressed. But, but I, I don't expect that because everything I have heard has come from a place of the real problem is that everyone misunderstands what Bitcoin has always been. And, and the change that people are going is going, the change that people will see in the future is not a change in the protocol, but a change in their assumptions being exposed as fallacious. Hmm. I'm curious what you guys think too, like based on what Satoshi wrote, what is what is more likely that uh, Satoshi actually believed about Bitcoin? Um, because I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the case that we can make the argument that um, Satoshi was deliberately making an anti-government system. Um, I don't think that there's enough evidence to, to make that argument. And I think a lot of the uh, prevalent dogma in crypto today is based off of a false assumption about what Satoshi believed. Now, I don't think you can jump from that position to Satoshi wanted a pro-government surveillance state either. But and, um, you know, it's interesting. I've read the book of Satoshi a, a couple times, which is essentially a collection of yeah. most of the public posts and things and emails. Um, and it it's possible that when I read that last, which was probably at least a year or two ago, that I was cramming it through the lens of my own assumptions and my own beliefs about freedom and free markets. But it's hard for me to believe that I was doing that too far, right? Like maybe as a, as a anything that's peaceful, you know, voluntarist, I was assuming a further stretch for Satoshi than was actually present. But it's pretty clear what's coded in the, the Genesis block, the, the Financial Times headline, the, the whole value prop, the way it's talked about, without a third party intermediary, peer to peer, a lot of the back and forth. This is, this is someone who at least intended to remove one of the greatest powers of the state, which is monetary manipulation yeah. through invisible inflation and enable transactions between people without an intermediary, which opens up all kinds of opportunities for confiscation, getting shut down. Um, so like, those seem so embedded and the kind of people that were around it and a part of it and, you know, early on that Satoshi was, was sort of working with, it, see, it would seem pretty odd if it wasn't at least a 
fairly libertarian, um, let's, let's get outside of underneath the thumb of government. I don't know how far that goes, but I also, I think you shared, Derek, an email from Craig Wright, I think, about how he thought that WikiLeaks should use Bitcoin, right? Yeah, it seemed like it was a linked old LinkedIn post where, well, so one, I thought it was interesting just because it actually does show at the very least that he was aware of Bitcoin in 2011, which is, is pretty early and earlier than I think a lot of people concede. But the other thing is, is it, yeah, he, he seemed to be saying that WikiLeaks should have used Bitcoin because PayPal was, was canceling. And which they had sounds very different than Craig today, right? Yeah. Yeah, and well, and Satoshi. The other thing was interesting is Satoshi had himself said, I think somewhere in the the writings that he had suggested that WikiLeaks should not use Bitcoin. Yeah, the reason he being, a, he didn't he want it would... to attract, I think, I think attention from the state. Yeah, like um, it was like, hey, we're not ready for that yet. It's going to attract all kinds of attention, and we're still in our infancy as a technology. It, it didn't seem that it was because. It was unclear whether Satoshi was pro or anti WikiLeaks as a use yeah, case, but it but was not now, not yet. There's one quote which I, I come back to a lot, which again, these are all matter of interpretation because it's I can see it going both ways. But someone had said uh, Bitcoin exists. I think it was uh, Bitcoin is, is is some kind of money. Uh, it was like stable, stable with respect to energy that exists outside of the government. And Satoshi said, "I am definitely not making such a taunt or an assertion." Um, I can share that with you guys later. That was an interesting quote to me because he specifically says, I'm not making the taunt that Bitcoin is outside of government. It seems there was a caution of attracting attention yeah. early and getting squashed and, and not a willingness to be like, yeah, stick it to the man. It's unclear to what extent there was a, to what extent was the motivation behind Bitcoin subversive of governments, yeah. whether or not the strategy employed that. It's, it's unclear, but I, I think I've definitely crammed it through my own bias. And so like going back and reading again with a more open mind, it's much less clear than I had assumed it was. And I crammed it through my own bias too. But, and then we also need to remember there's a fairly broad spectrum of people who would consider themselves libertarian. Um, and there are, there are people who are very pro-liberty people who are not entirely anti-government, but who certainly believe that taking the monetary power away from the state is, is absolutely the most important thing. I think we all agree that taking the monetary power is pretty much the most important thing you can do. Um, so yeah, and I think with Craig and these guys too, or just with this BSV stuff, I, I go back and forth about it because on the one hand, I've seen elements of discussion where it sounds like this is very much a statement of fact as, as I, and what they believe that this is just a factual thing about Bitcoin as opposed to like a normative claim about what right. society should be or shouldn't be. Um, and then at other times I watch a video where it sounds like, you know, tie prison, you're going to die. Like, and then I see that and I think it's very, I think it's for comedic purposes, it's, it's hilarious in a certain sense that just to see someone asserting that with such gusto. But I, I wonder, that sounds more moralistic than, um, than some of the other content, which sounds like it's, it's very much a, a factual claim. Just like, you don't understand Bitcoin. Right. It's actually is possible. I'm going to show you how it's possible. Yeah. Very thing it's very hard to separate from Craig and I think BSV community in general adopts this. Things are communicated in such a way where normative and, and factual claims are very difficult to to separate and to tell what what yeah. is actually being said here. Are you stating the world as you want it to be, or are you stating the world as you think it already right. is? Yeah, and, and, it just, and it's I, this very religious zeal yeah. that 
it, it kind of adds a lot of confusion for me. Yeah. So, so my, 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 my analogy for how you should listen to Craig is you should listen to him as you would a boxer before a boxing match. That boxer is going I'm to- a, I'm going to eat your children. Right? Yeah, remember when Mike Tyson said that about, I think it was Evander Holyfield. Now, now, do you believe that he intends to be understood as I'm going to literally eat your children? Or do you think he's trying to convey something like, man, I am going to wreck you. It's Mike Tyson. I honestly don't know. <laughs> okay. okay, there we go, right? So, so, so I, I think part of it is a statement of just straightforward truth. Part of it is selling an idea to an audience and signaling something strong. And another part of it is this is a guy that's angry and pissed off and explicitly has stated so a number of times. And, and he's talking with that feeling of, beside and, it. So, he prefaces his talks now by saying, I have Asperger's. So, <laughs> you know, as an excuse sort of, I guess, to, I don't know, to say whatever he wants to say. And, 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 and he has criticized himself before. But by saying, you know, like maybe there there would have been a better or whatever way to say it. But I, I think you have to take some of that with a grain of salt. Pay attention to what's actually being done rather than what's actually being said. And, and this is what I think is the uniqueness of BSV in that there is such a strong emphasis on what are we actually doing rather than who is in charge. Everyone wants to have that conversation about who's in charge. And what are the worst possible scenarios, you know, related to the guy being in charge? And BSV is saying that's not relevant. What matters is proof of work. Well, but they are saying that insofar as they're trying to claim the government and law is in charge. At the end of the day, the code does not stand alone. The market does not stand alone. And it's the code that's making these decisions or that it's the, it's the government making these decisions. So I, I don't hear that at all. I don't hear the statement that government's in charge. I hear the statement that Bitcoin is designed to work within the existing framework of law, which is different. I, I don't hear the statement that government is able to override, arbitrarily override any aspect of how Bitcoin works. Now, that's the one that's the one that we disagree on, because I am I am explicitly hearing that 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 idea that government, in fact, can override. Bitcoin. When I'm talking about this whole creating the invalid transaction thing, that this is this and, is one of the general <clears throat> criticisms of BSV or, or discomforts is there's there's a lot of ambiguity, and it mostly centers around things that that Craig says and stuff, and and many things that he says that nobody thinks are true, like Turing completeness or whatever turn out like, oh, he's actually describing a property that was there that nobody knew. But there's a lot of ambiguity about what's meant. So there's a lot of ambiguity about like. I don't know exactly what I'm getting on board for here. Um, in some ways, the, the coin that's trying to say they want to lock down the protocol to reduce uncertainty, in my mind, there's a lot of uncertainty and most of it revolves around inability to interpret what things actually mean. Like, what does that mean that coins can be confiscated? So, yeah. so regarding our disagreement though, my statement is that there is no contention from the BSV side that government can arbitrarily alter any aspect of Bitcoin. I don't think we disagree on that. No one's saying government can just do whatever they want. Uh, otherwise, there would be no independently existing system and it would have no function whatsoever. Where we disagree is the, on the technicalities of what it would mean to confiscate. Can governments, when they come together, can governments actually alter something like a transaction? I want to say two things from Shatter's response to you. First, he did say when it came to this actually being possible, he said cross jurisdiction. 
you'd have to get all to agree. It's not theoretically impossible, but I can't see it happening since they all have conflicting incentives. So the first thing is there, there is the claim that this will be an extremely difficult, rare thing to do. And the second thing is when Shatters gives, gives some possibilities, he talks about like a permafreeze as a possibility. He yeah. talks about, you know, miners not, you know, decide, you know, basically deciding not to process certain transactions, yep. Yep. but nobody has laid out a detailed technical description of how it's going to happen. Yeah. But no one has said this is going to be the result of changing the protocol. Right. So I, this is, I would say a number of things. One, blacklisting is definitely possible. Uh, blacklisting of coins because of a court order, that sounds, sounds eminently plausible. You're still going to get cross-district um, cr- cross jurisdiction to do that. Um, I totally buy that. I, I'm making a specific claim about the confiscatability of it. And it just, I think it's a, a, it's a bit misleading to say, oh, well, it's going to be very rare because it's going to require the collaboration of many governments when it really, you're talking about the Bitcoin system, you're talking about the miners. So it's, it, it's, not like, it's not like government can write a piece of legislation that moves Bitcoin. Ultimately, it has to do with forcing the hand of miners. So it would imply, regardless of the government stuff, it would imply that majority hash rate can confiscate, not blacklist, can confiscate Bitcoin. And if that's the case, like I'm fine with saying I don't understand Bitcoin. Like if you, if you really can truly have a majority hash rate in an explicit way confiscate Bitcoin, that's not a, a sleight of hand and whatever, then yeah, I, I'm fine saying that uh, then I, wouldn't, I don't understand it. But I think we should treat that word confiscate in the same way we treat that word honest when we read honest minor, right? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think so. So, so what, on- what, what I mean by that, what I mean by that is I don't think a technical layout has been provided that gives us confidence in knowing exactly what confiscate in this context means. You just expressed that you, that you believe that blacklisting is possible. I don't think that's an unlikely interpretation of it since whatever it is, it's already being advocated that it's always been possible. But I but, actually but don't no, know, but, know what it would mean without the technical explanation. But in Craig's article, he talks about there being a difference between blacklisting and outright confiscation. So, so he's already saying there's a difference. You know what he means by that, though? Because you're asking a lot of questions, too, about someone to explain the mechanics yes. of that. Yeah, the idea of like, cha- I think the quote was something like, the change the outputs of the transaction. So that, yeah, that's, you know, it, it's interesting because when I, when I looked at your, your Twitter discussion on it, I saw a couple of different things. One, I saw some people from BSV saying, I just think Craig's wrong about this. Um, you did have some of those comments. You had some people saying, oh, he's just exaggerating. Other people saying, I don't understand the, the technicalities of this, but it's definitely possible and it's always been possible. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I'm... This is the, the problem at the heart of BSV right now, at least, is this uncertainty yeah. around. Like this is, I think, I think a lot of BSVers are not quite aware. Like, like I tried to point out, I think there are rational reasons that someone in Bitcoin Cash right now would be hesitant to jump more into BSV. And I think some of that is, is uncertainty. Um, I'm more in BSV than Bitcoin Cash right now, but the idea of being fully in Bitcoin SV right now is given the uncertainty to me is it's like in, in Bitcoin Cash right now, I feel very confident about who the, who the enemies are and who I think is doing good work and bad work and what the problems with Bitcoin Cash are. In Bitcoin SV, it feels very nebulous. And it feels like every day I'm seeing 
a conflicting narrative about what's going to happen and what a word yeah. means, what a word doesn't mean, what law means, what law but, doesn't but, mean. What, what there, there's fundamentally to everyone. There's like a, there's kind of a very trusting community in BSV in a way. It's like, well, we just sort of trust that like Enchain and Craig, they, they kind of got it right. And when they say this stuff, it kind of means what I think it means. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's good to go in a way that they, makes me feel uncomfortable. Now that the things in Bitcoin Cash, I can see what the actual debates and problems are. Those make me uncomfortable as well because I don't <laughs> like what some at of least the you can see, yeah. is. But at yeah. least I, I understand it in a weird way. BSV is the least transparent. <laughs> but S- <laughs> on the other hand, S- SV, there are things in SV that I like by orders of magnitude more than things I like in Bitcoin Cash right now. And uh, uh, some of the economic thought in there just seems to me to be way far and away better. And they, 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 the best things from Bitcoin but like, Cash like in the early days- Developers are not going to be funded by charity. Blocks yes. will be as big as they can possibly be. There's no use case that's spam. Let's, you know, let's use microtransactions. Let's scale let's fast. All kinds let's of try stuff. to scale as fast as possible. And, and, and I think all of that stuff is very important. And I think a lot of those- Elements that got me excited about Bitcoin Cash in the early days were, were transferred over into Bitcoin SV. And, but then there's this extra layer now of stuff that is, is confusing and scary and contradictory and shrouded in sort of the fog of war. And, and like the fact that we even, ha- even have to have this discussion about, is it a Trojan horse? Is it not a Trojan horse? Is they're going to move the coins? Are they like, not? Like, I, at are some point, there's an exhaustion factor yeah. too. Like, I want a, an awesome usable version of Bitcoin that does all these great things that isn't always contingent on the next revelation in the next court case in some jurisdiction or yeah. whatever it might be like, like, and, and you could say, well, that stuff doesn't really matter. It's, it's distractions, but the, the claims not. keep getting right. ramped up that it yeah. does matter and it matters more and more. And then this will happen. And these, you know, it's like, I don't know. Well, let me, let me make one more point about this. I, I, the more we talk, the more I get like, less bullish on both <laughs> on all forms of bitcoin not really sometimes so, so i think sometimes we can become so preoccupied with people getting a little too happy over there being right about something that we kind of devalue what it is they're right about and we need to make sure that we're looking at the claim as it is the claim is not that coins on bsv are uniquely confiscatable if craig wright is correct he's correct about it all which well, that's what they that, say. That's the claim, yeah. Yeah, but, it, it, yeah. Well, if his claim is correct, then that means we all need to make sure we're trying our darndest to understand how the hell this is going to yeah. happen and, yeah. and, how, and how we can make the best of what our situation is. Yeah. So this is not a uniquely BSV problem. So if this is worrisome, then it's worrisome for us all. And I would say it's actually the other way around in terms of the security. For me, I want to be on the side where a problem is actually being acknowledged and someone is getting out in front of the problem to figure out the best way to work with it. Not on the side of someone that's saying, I don't even believe that's a problem. And if it is true, then it's only true for you. Even though the guy who says it's true, says or, it's true for all of us. Do you want to be on the side of someone who's celebrating the problem as if it's a good thing? <laughs> I, I want to be on the side of who is speaking the truth, even if I think they're celebrating the truth too much. So I think this is a good opportunity for BSB and BCH to really make more distinct philosophies. I'm glad to see this because part of part of my angst before is that 
BSV and BCH are too similar. They're too direct competition. And so that kind of makes me pessimistic on both. But now this whole confiscation thing and the relationship with the law, I, I'm seeing a clearer relationship with the government. I'm seeing much clearer um, differences in the philosophy. And I really do think we finally have maybe the first opportunity on this confiscation issue to say, okay, who's right and who's wrong? Because if, if Craig is correct in claiming that on all chains, majority miners can confiscate your Bitcoin, um, I would say that as a demonstration, he's ahead of everybody. Well, I and mean, we would probably expect to see, you know, I think BTC and BCH maybe either either collapse or, or yeah. because that would be such a radical yeah. uh, It'd be uh, fundamental. indication of Craig Wright. So, so, so let's, so, so well, this and, is and great. A, and a, you know, uh, undermining of the value props of the coins, Absolutely. More, more importantly. Hell yeah. So I, this is a great opportunity because I don't think he's right. And, and here, so there's been a lot of speculation. Is he playing 5D chess? Is it the 10D chess? So I'll paint you a picture of maybe what's going on here and maybe, maybe kind of the end game. Right? We, we got to so, add new dimensions and string theory for the chess that we're at now. Yeah, it's a true story. Well, okay, I, I got to say one thing real fast though, because I don't, I, if, let's just say he ends up being wrong. He's just yeah. totally wrong, but a protocol change to do this doesn't happen. Yeah. If, if, if that were the case, I would still think BSV is following a more rational path right now. I, I think, uh, well, I don't know about that very last part, but I think the the value prop of BSV would be way higher if Craig is wrong about this. Well, actually, I'm not sure. The value prop to me would be way higher of a non-confiscatable big block Bitcoin. Now, the, in terms of the market appreciation of BSV, maybe it's best for governments to be able to confiscate. So I don't know. But in terms of like the way that we've been generally, people have generally been thinking about Bitcoin, I think the value prop would change dramatically. Okay, guys, let's let's wrap it up. So, But BSV would be more valuable on on both accounts. Yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. But I I just, I don't think that the distinction right now between BCH and BSV is, is, I I think it was a little more clear even before that, just in in the uh, philosophy behind scaling and decision-making. Um, I think those are actually really important. I don't think they're trivial differences between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV right now. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they're trivial, they're trivial either, um, which is why I hold both chains, uh, both coins. Um, but I do think this, this is a whole nother level. If we're talking about um, there's somebody in BSV who has a level of understanding that surpasses everybody else in the system, such that everybody else would kind of believe that Bitcoin is broken if that person turns out to be right. I mean, that's a game changer. Yeah, opinion. of course. Yeah, you're right. I, I do want to give the picture of the 5D chess. All right. Here's, a, here's just the spitballing on the wall here. Okay. So Craig has this uh, obsession with wanting to be Satoshi. And he doesn't have the keys to prove it. Maybe he was involved with the creation. Maybe he wasn't. Either story is fine here. Okay. So he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to harp on this code is law thing. And I'm going to try to make the, the case that actually law is law and it stands apart from code and code will conform to law. And so what he does is he finds a, a billionaire to like convince that get him, get him behind the project and be like, oh, I, hey, I'm, I'm Satoshi, you should finance this project. He gets his own version of Bitcoin. And then he says, he publicly states, hey, look, we're going back to the original protocol because all you schmucks screwed it up. But he knows that in the original protocol, there was some kind of a bug, let's say, such that you can successfully confiscate Bitcoin. And so his, his masterstroke is now to say, aha, look, we, by declaration of law, I can demonstrate that in, in 
in the real world, I am Satoshi because I moved the Satoshi keys. When in reality, we're going to look at that BSV blockchain, there's going to be an invalid signature. He's going to go, it doesn't matter if it's invalid because code isn't law, baby. Law is law. There's the 5G chess. Well, that would be a, a funny... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all for you know whatever happens. My mind is open to, to kind of seeing it. I'm not locked in <laughs> interpretation. I might have to send this video to my lawyer before we put it out, just to uh, make sure or add a disclaimer that I, I disavow. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, let's let's wrap it up. So, if there's something that you think we should have talked about that we didn't, or that you think is worth talking about. Um, you can you can bring it up or just bring bring home some closing statements for a few minutes. I'll I'll throw out there a funny interesting observation. Steve, you did a marathon interview with Phil Wilson, who uh, I came across from his long blog post and started you know following him on Reddit a while a while before you did that, and I found that utterly fascinating. Um, I found it plausible. Um, I still find it plausible. I think it's very interesting. It fits a lot of pieces. But one thing that I think is funny is the way he described Bitcoin and his claim that this was his idea and whatever and his vision for it. The part that he described as his vision that I most disagreed with was like, oh yeah, the whole point is to like have two economic systems, one for law-abiding citizens and then one for criminals. They get pushed off and they got to use something else and blah, blah, blah. I was like, boy, I don't really like that. And I was like, man, I'm sure glad if his, if his story is true, I'm glad that didn't happen. And he described his story as he and Craig were these antagonists. Well, now the more BSV stuff, the, the more BSV talks about what Bitcoin is or they want it to be, it sounds like what Phil was describing. It it's, so, it's so strange and bizarre. So maybe if we have a future video, we can talk more about Phil Wilson or other crazy Satoshi origin possibilities. Yeah, I think yeah. one day I would like to, if I have time, unfortunately it's so long, but to go through and do like an index to that conversation, just because it's there's so much in there and I definitely am sympathetic somewhat to people, not to the people who have like a really strong opinion without watching it, but I'm sympathetic to the people who started watching it and were like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> come on, you know, because, because he's difficult to understand because it's a little bit rambly because there's some, you know, connection issues and stuff like that. You really got to work to listen to it. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, he added fuel to my great conspiracy that all of crypto is actually a giant con pulled by the nation of Australia on the rest of the world because <laughs> the number of crazy crypto people who are Australian is so disproportionate. I'm starting to get suspicious. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was definitely an interesting interview and I still keep in contact with him. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I would say, I would say if one it reluctantly uh, is forced to conclude that maybe Craig had something to do with it. He was around at the time and there are people like Ian Gregg who has kind of sworn essentially that he's been shown enough information. That this is the case. Ian Gregg is a, is a long time cryptographer type. Um, then I think Phil's story by far makes the most sense because in Phil's story, you know, Craig can be a liar, a fraud, a charlatan and even technically incompetent in important areas, which is this weird mix of maybe, maybe Craig is like a mind who has access to a lot of the ideas and the abstract, but in terms of the connection between the abstract and comp concrete, he fails miserably. There's, there's all kinds of pleasant things I think you get from Phil's story that I've not seen anywhere else. And, and the, you know, the more you research, the more it seems 
less plausible that Craig had nothing to do with it. And it is 100% fraud in every way. I just yeah, don't it, buy it that seems story like, either. I don't think it's plausible that he didn't have anything to do with it now. I mean, personally. Um, I, I would put it this way. It is a much more difficult story to tell to explain Craig Wright not having anything to do with the origin of Bitcoin than it is to explain him having something to do with it, right? Like, I think trying to explain yeah. him and his life and everything yeah. about him with no connection to the origin of Bitcoin is actually quite a difficult thing to do. There seems to be yeah. something there. And, and I think the the hardest story to tell would be one in which he is literally Satoshi and wrote the white paper. Um, I just don't, if you read any of his writing, I would bet the farm that man did not write the white paper. I just don't think there's any conceivable way. So, you know, well, what's interesting is first, that perception that he had nothing to do with it is the dominant perception as I see it amongst his critics. Uh, there's a total lack of nuance in, in, in the assessment of Craig's Satoshiness. You know, we, we, we talked a little bit about this offline that the, 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 the structure of the argument that's used is premise one, if Craig Wright is Satoshi, no, no, I'm sorry, the premise, premise one is if Craig Wright is a fraud, he cannot be Satoshi. Premise two, Craig Wright is a fraud. Conclusion, therefore, Craig Wright cannot be Satoshi. <laughs> Yeah. And so what you have is you have this debate where someone like the Seeking Satoshi account or Peter McCormack or Jameson Lopp presents some data for why they believe they caught Craig in a lie at some point in his life. And then there's a response to that to try to prove that, no, Craig really didn't lie. It only looks like he lied. And almost none of his critics are considering the possibility that it is possible for him to be a human being who at some point in his past did things that could be argued as fraudulent while also being Satoshi. So for me, it's not even important to get involved in the, did he do anything fraudulent debate? What's important to me is to look at the evidence of Satoshi because there are all sorts of reasons for why people could either lie or make it look like they are lying in order to protect some other interests that they can't be completely free about. And if there's anything that seems obvious to me about Craig, it's that there are parts to his story that he is choosing not to tell for reasons that are not clear to me. And that means it is very easy for him to look like he's lying when just because we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. So I just yeah. think that's an interesting thing, you know? Yeah, that's definitely an enigma. I mean, maybe if we talk about this again, we can talk more about Craig because it's a, it's a, it's a big topic, yeah, yeah. but I know, I know Isaac wants to wrap it up, but I want to, I want to end with a, another story. So, um, this okay, is, you, you each get a final ending thing and this is okay. Steve's. Okay. So <laughs> shut up, Steve. No. Um, so Richard Feynman, tells a very interesting story, the physicist Richard Feynman, of working on the atomic bomb project, the Manhattan Project. <clears throat> and he says he was recruited by this guy um, to work with a bunch of other physicists to develop the atomic bomb uh, because they were worried the Nazis were gonna get the bomb. And so they said, well, we better figure this out before the Nazis. So he tells the story, it's fascinating, um, where he gets really wrapped up in the project, he's solving all kinds of problems and they do their first test of the nuclear bomb and it's like celebration. He's playing bongos on a car. He's just, everybody's excited. There's one dude when the bomb blows up, that's like depressed and in his head, it was the guy that ended up, that, that recruited him in the first place. And I forget what his name was, maybe John Wheeler or something like that. That's some physicist. Um, and Richard is like, dude, what, what why aren't you celebrating? He's, and uh, Wheeler's like, 
what, what have we been working on? Like, what is this project going to turn into? Like we just developed a bomb that's going to kill goodness knows how many people. And um, then Richard says after he developed it, um, he was like super depressed because he was like, oh, damn, I think I'm, I just contributed to the ending of the world and this is not going to make the world a better place. And I was just so wrapped up in the project, I lost sight of that this is going to be abused. And I'll say, I kind of see the potential for that in BSV. Specifically, if we're going to see some way, it's either always been built into the protocol, or there's going to be a protocol change for BSV where governments can outright confiscate your funds, I could see BSV really be some terrible project for, for humanity. That, that's my, my happy story to end it on. I, I guess I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll make my, my final thing. I, I want to try to assuage these concerns a little bit and say, I think BSV is like the internet. It's like the cell phone. It's like the printing press. It's like the automobile. It's like any technology capable of inspiring some pretty horrific ideas and realities and some pretty healing ideas and realities. And none of us know what it looks like a hundred years from now. It could be scary. It could be amazing beyond imagination. Um, but I love these conversations. You know, I had someone say in the comments to, to one of them um, that, you know, this guy's been, you know, into uh, Bitcoin, for, you know, in 2017, and now he thinks he's a guru. So I, I just want to make it clear. I'm, I don't think I'm a guru at all. And um, I also have no emotional attachment to uh, being crowned by the OG Pharisees as someone who is worthy of Bitcoin. Um, I, I feel lucky to be interested in it. I, I feel lucky to be able to have conversations with you guys on a regular basis and learn something about it. And what I love most about this conversation is that I get to learn and I get to go away with new questions and new concerns and I get to research. And um, as a shout out to the BSV community, everything that we've talked about here, I got a whole bunch of people I can go send messages to on Twitter, ask them a bunch of questions, just like I do with you guys. And they're going to happily with no attitude answer my questions and point me to other things to read and listen to. And that's what makes this fun. And that's why I love these discussions, you know? Yeah. There's a lot less, at least right now, it seems, and there's definitely some, but a lot less of the attitude of, Oh, well, you're a bad actor. You know, if you ask questions or if you have doubts about, about something in BSV, I've, I've found a lot more friendliness out of that community right now than exists in BCH, a willingness to tolerate dissent because in part, at least, I think, well, two reasons. One, I think they're, they're, maybe they see themselves as a minority chain, so they want to con convert people to their side, but also this idea that, well, if the protocol doesn't change, it doesn't actually matter what other people think. They can be right or wrong about Bitcoin. Um, we'll see whether that happens. That, to me, is the biggest thing for, for Bitcoin SV right now, is, 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 is what does that protocol lockdown look like? Um, I guess my, my concluding thought is... Um, well, it's just I've been I, I, I always I've been thinking a lot about about Bitcoin Cash and its relation to Bitcoin SV, and I guess I just want to say I think the danger that Bitcoin Cash would fall into is reacting against anything good in Bitcoin SV and lumping it together with something that they see as bad in Bitcoin SV, and then throwing it all out, yeah. saying, "Well, we can't do any of that." And I see that a lot, and I, I see this this witch hunt culture growing in Bitcoin Cash that it doesn't if it doesn't match core exactly, it certainly rhymes with what happened in core. And, yeah, you uh, remember when when BTC would would make fun of like oh yeah oh, people are using Bitcoin Cash 
Yep. And they would be like, oh, that's a terrible thing. Ha ha, that's stupid. <laughs> right. And and like when I've seen really huge blocks mined on BSV, people in BCH being like, oh, that's stupid. Yep. Well, in it's, what world is that stupid? Their blockchain. You, you may they're think it's their blockchain. Whether I see it's stupid. This, is, this app is stupid. Money button's stupid. I mean, I, I see that stuff and I think, God, this looks exactly like what we forked from. And um, I, guess, I guess my thought about these two changes is that it doesn't necessarily have to be one where one succeeds and one fails. They could both fail, right? And I think right now in Bitcoin Cash, like there's this mindset of like as long as B, like BSV fails, like we're going to succeed or, or vice versa. I don't, I don't see that so much. I, I think if you guys aren't serious and, and you know that, that 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 both sides could lose and we could be stuck with 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 nothing better. Um, and it might be better than the atomic bomb, though. What? Might be better than just the atomic bomb. <laughs> well, I don't. I guess you would have to decide whether, like, whether whether BSV in its worst outcome, given your scenario, is an interesting question. Is it worse still than the existing system? Would it in its worst thing? Even if it were, even if, if even if you're saying right now it would be such a dramatic difference than what BTC's original uh, idea was going to be, um, would it be worse than the existing sort of? Uh, financial system where the financial system's headed even because the financial system right now as it's 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 headed towards a cashless society right i think in large part it's headed towards a society where people are going to be increasingly forced to use things like credit cards and digital accounts which for all of their wonderful use cases also comes with a very inconvenient fact that everything's being tracked and um uh and uh yeah so so i guess the, the question would be like yeah whether whether it's it's going to be worse in your worst case scenario. Um, but I'm not sure it's going to be there. I'm not sure it's ever going to get to that point. I guess we'll start seeing something in February. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So I guess with just Bitcoin Cash though, it's just, it just keeps coming back to, to if, if, if you guys are going to react against anything good you see in Bitcoin SV, like that's just such a bad sign to me. And that's just so scary. Um, yeah. So I hope that they uh, get their get their act together a little bit. I just want to comment on that because I know, um, I think of the last last time we had this conversation, there's like a Reddit thread and people chose the most reasonable things we, we were talking about that that was the universal BCH philosophy as of a year ago. And yeah. it was like, oh, well, Steve, Steve can't be a, B, a BCH supporter. And it's very clear Derek is a, B, a BSV supporter yeah. because they said things like, you know, we need to signal high transaction capacity right now. Yeah. Like the most reasonable proposition ever. Like, oh no, that that sounds like what a BSV supporter would say. That sounds like Craig Wright, which means it must be wrong. Exactly. And, and <laughs> if, if they're going to do that, I mean, it doesn't really matter what BSV does, right? BSV could in theory be a total shit show, but if, if they're going to act like that and make that sort of a guiding philosophy behind the the, the way the protocol proceeds in the future, then I don't see them succeeding either. And it seems like it's, it's better that we all just all just sell our coins. Maybe I'm just getting really blackfilled by this conversation. <laughs> so I, I just want to close by saying first, thanks guys. This is awesome. And just like last time, uh, it went much longer than I assumed. And we could probably go all day, but for the, for the sake of uh, normal lives that we hopefully are carrying on, we should wrap it up. But I thought that something was interesting with the last video. There's a lot of people that were like some debate. They all just agree with each other, blah, blah. Okay. I never put debate in the title, and this one isn't a debate either. It's a discussion. The second thing is it is possible for things to be, for multiple things to be true. For example, it is possible for someone to want Bitcoin Cash to succeed while thinking that it's unlikely that it will. 
or to want BSV to succeed while thinking that it's unlikely that it will. Those are possible. It's possible to think in terms of probabilities, which is exactly how I think about this. I want the version of Bitcoin that I got excited about when I first came across it, something like that to succeed in the world. And I, and I love these discussions because they help me assess the probability of that. Not only for where I invest or hold coins, where I get involved on Twitter, how much attention I pay. And so I see this as probabilistic and the probabilities shift all the time. At any given time, my probability that BCH will be more successful than BSV changes and my probability that any of them will succeed at all against the legacy financial system changes. And there's all these various levels. And like, I think what I value is that, and I'm making this clear to anybody watching this, with the exception of maybe some entertainment value or maybe some biases here or there, people that we like, all of us here, we have no particular emotional attachment to one version of Bitcoin winning just because of its brand. We have reasons for wanting certain types of use cases. And we want the probability that the coin that's usable and the things that excites us about it wins. We want that to occur. And we're, we're not really that concerned about who gets on board with that, who doesn't, what ticker it has, what color it has, and all that type of stuff. And to me, that is the sensible thing. Like you, you, you ought not to have to pledge fidelity to one coin above all others. What if that coin goes a direction that you don't like or it starts to fail? Like there's nothing wrong with just discussing these things. And that's exactly what we're doing here. So hopefully we'll bring a little more reasonability. Anybody have anything else they want to throw out there? I just, oh, I want to I just wanna, yeah. I wanted, <laughs> of course. I wanted, we all, of course. <laughs> I wanted to get a, a, just a word in just uh, in before... Uh, they come in and accuse this of, of, of once again being a controlled opposition discussion in favor of, of I'm sure I'm sure they're not going to listen to any of Steve's concerns. No. And uh, they're going to just assume that everything Steve said was pro Bitcoin SV. Yeah. Well, so I want to piggyback on what you said, Isaac, because there's a, there's a sense in which a lot of people right now in Bitcoin Cash do have a very strong emotional um, component, specifically because of Craig. And it's not unjustified. Like Craig is going around suing a bunch of people working on open source projects, suing a bunch of people for calling him names on Twitter. Dude, dude is seriously a shithead. And I think it's very, very hard for people to disassociate their analysis from at the end of the day, they hate Craig Wright. And even if BSV were more, more, more technically correct and it scaled better, they would be like, I'm not going to use it anyway because I don't like Craig Wright. And while I do think that... You know, that'll gain you social cred in the Bitcoin Cash community to crap on Craig Wright for being a bad person outside of this little community. That's just, that's not going to scale. And so like when I know, Derek, you're looking at it from the outside. I'm looking at it from the outside. We're like, okay, to the extent that this community is, defines itself by opposition to one mean guy, it's going to lose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm 100% agreement. And, and, and you're right about the, the bigger world, which is... Incidentally, why I think at least right now, Bitcoin SV has, has some advantage is that they seem to recognize that the crypto community itself is a small community in trying to play the game where you win on Twitter and Reddit with the existing crypto trolls yeah. is not a winning strategy. We've had 10 exactly. years that it doesn't work. Try something different. Hey, I want to say thank you. Shout out to everybody who watched that first video, commented. It was disproportionately friendly and interesting comments. The ones that we chose to focus on were some of the crazy ones. And I will say I had disproportionately friendly, interested comments from BSV community, 
BCH was a little bit less so, but there was some like Nicodemus in the night BCH people that kind of like privately were like, hey, that was a really good discussion, but I'm not <laughs> sure what will happen if I say this publicly. So I don't know. Apparently we, we went off the reservation according to some, but guys, this was awesome. We'll have yeah. to do it again. Thanks guys. See you guys.